Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. It's been a week already, but here we are. It is once again time for you to control the airwaves. You control the horizontal. You control the vertical. You control the auditory. You control everything for the next hour. So long as your topic of choice is in the form of a question. Because for the next hour, I am prepared to answer your questions on anything you like. You have questions about cocktails, casinos, cinema, even things that don't begin with the letter C. I'm your man. I'm going to make my best effort to answer them. And if you have a question about something you're curious about, you want to know the answer to a hypothetical question, you have a question about something about uh, the inside radio business, anything at all that's in my power to answer, I will answer it over the course of the next hour. However, the... Extra incentive to you to come up with an interesting question, a creative question, an original question, a question that's a little off the beaten path, is that whomever comes up with the best question in the eyes of Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and this guy whose name we now know, Elias, is we are going to give you a complimentary prize from the other side of Midnight online store and we've got some great prizes in there and there's some great merchandise in there you should check out the online store and if you buy anything use the password or the code word frank 15 you'll save 15 percent off so if you have a question now's the time to uh, call in and ask 800-848-9222 800-848-9222 because it is time for the other side of midnight proudly presents ask frank ask frank anything ask frank anything ask frank anything ask frank anything it is one of my Favorite moments of the week, and based on the feedback that I get from so many of you, it's one of your favorite moments of the week as well. So whatever you have questions about, go ahead and dial 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven open lines. So if you've never called in before because the lines are always jammed, now's your opportunity to get in with a question, 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Roger in Massachusetts. Hello there, Roger. You. Yesterday, you briefly brought up a subject. You, you said beef and climate change in the same sentence. So my question is, what do you think the government is planning on doing about reducing 
I'm, I'm sure they're talking about live cows. Uh, emissions from cows, are they going to uh, require us to eat more beef all of a sudden? Are they going to put a catalytic converter on, on uh, underneath their tail, come out the back? Uh, are they going to consult with the Hindu population? Well, what do you think they're going to do about this? Well, I, honestly, I have no idea. Well, but I, I'm a little puzzled by the premise of your question when you say why the government may require us to eat more beef. Well, I'm to, to reduce the number of cows. Well, I know, but every time you kill a cow for beef, then that just means to that you're going to have another cow that takes that cow's spot, right? So I don't understand why they make such a big deal about cows and emission and climate change. Well, it, the issue is because a lot of the greenhouse gas emissions are from uh, are from. Uh, you know, flatulence that's right. generated by these cows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're, they're breeding these cows to essentially make meat, to make beef, to make food for people. And that does play much more of a role in in greenhouse gas emissions than cars or anything like that. Okay, so they want to stop eating beef and then stop having, stop having cows then. Well, I, or at least have fewer cows uh, that are that are designed for slaughter to become beef. Yes, uh, whatever. But they can put a catalytic converter or something on them, or whatever. I know, but if you put a catalytic yeah. converter on a cow, what would it do? Well, I mean, something like that to reduce. Uh, I, I don't know, something to you know make the methane burn up the methane before it hits the atmosphere. Well, it, it is interesting. Right, anyway. I. I th- Thank you, um, Roger. I, I think part of the issue might be removing the meat subsidy. The U.S. government, and this is why you have to look at where your tax dollars are going, but the U.S. government subsidizes the, uh, the beef industry um, a great deal. And, you know, let me see if I could find exactly how much they subsidize. So there's uh, approximately... So according to recent studies, the U.S. government spends up to $38 billion each year to subsidize the meat and dairy industries with less than 1% of that sum allocated to aiding the production of fruits and vegetables. So maybe if you didn't give so much money away to people that to the to the meat industry, maybe they'd produce a little less meat and maybe we'd get a little less methane. So, and maybe we'd save a little bit of money. 800-848-9222, Gene is in Manhattan. Hello, Gene. What's your question? Hi, Frank. In 1970, my husband and I had an oceanfront room at the Claridge Hotel in Atlantic City. Does that still exist? The Claridge does exist. Yeah, I actually spend a, a, little, a lot of time at the Claridge. There's a bar uh, on the top of the Claridge, a bar in a restaurant called View, V-U-E, and it has uh, one of the best views of the Atlantic City skyline that there is. They call the Claridge the skyscraper by the sea, and I actually had uh, the countdown that we do at New Year's Eve Eve there one year, and everybody had a a, a great time. It's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful property. They don't have gambling there anymore, but it's adjacent. Uh-huh. To a lot of properties that do have gambling, it's a a wonderful place. I really do. Uh, I really do enjoy it. It's a, it's a great property, great location with a great view. 
Well, uh, we I sat on the top of the Claridge Hotel. It was a very warm September, and I read from an Esquire magazine, Ernest Hemingway's Islands in the Stream. Well, I imagine that must have been a pretty, a pretty uh, fun day and a pretty, uh, I don't know, a pretty surreal moment to while you're well, in that beautiful location to be able to read that book. Thank you, Gene. Yeah, the Claridge is absolutely still there, and it's still a great spot to visit. I am, um, again, I haven't been to Atlantic City in a while, over a month, which during the summer, I'd like to go to Atlantic City every week. I mean, one day, I'd love to have a property in Atlantic City and uh, be able to go there every weekend. Not in a position to do that right now, but I can't think of a better spot to be in in the summer than Atlantic City, except maybe Coney Island. But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's still very much there. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Audrey is in uh, Brooklyn. Hello, Audrey. Hi. Thanks so much for taking my call, and um, I hope your family as well. Thank I you. have a question for you. Do you think celebrating the July 4th, will change the country's um, um, attitude since it hasn't changed to the worst. And, you know, um, excuse me, I had a little wine. That's not my question. What I want to ask is about the Supreme Court. If, if we're going to reverse all the, all the um, rules, then what's the point of having the Supreme Court? Well, I, I think it's the court of ultimate appellate jurisdiction. So if you have a court case that doesn't go your way and you get to appeal it and appeal it, right. ultimately and the, the, appeal- the, affirmative, the affirmative action, the voting rights, the, 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 the um, abortion um, bans, that was approved by the Supreme Court. So now why are we actually are trying to get rid of it? Well, why can't we get rid of the Supreme Court? I think it's just silly, well, you know, right. celebrating a, a country that hasn't followed their own rules. But yeah. I hope you have a safe Safe Thank you, Audrey. You too. Happy Independence Day. Um, we're going to get into the affirmative action decision and some of the other Supreme Court decisions with De- Debbie Schlussel in about two hours. But my view of the Supreme Court is it should act the way it's prescribed to act in the Constitution, which is not to be this ultimate veto council that nullifies legislation that's uh, that's passed by the legislature and the democratically elected branches of government, the Supreme Court should do, in my view, their role is to, and I know this is a radical idea, to decide court cases. It's not to decide what's constitutional and what's not constitutional. That, to me, is up to us. It's up to our democratically elected representatives to make laws. Nowhere in the Constitution does the Supreme Court have the ability to declare laws unconstitutional? Nowhere. And yet, uh, beginning with the Marbury versus Madison decision, they took it upon themselves to do that. But even after they claimed that power for themselves, they didn't use it very much. They didn't use it again, I think, for at least another half a century. And then, in a decision that, with the Dred Scott decision, now that everybody recognizes was wrong and helped precipitate the Civil War, they still didn't use it very much. Only now does the Supreme Court get in the habit of routinely nullifying the will of the voters and the will of our democratically elected representatives. And it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. And whether it's uh, left-wing legislation that's being overturned or whether it's right-wing legislation that's being overturned, it shouldn't happen. It's not up to the Supreme Court to save us from ourselves. The Supreme Court should be there not as a veto council over the other branches of government – but to decide court cases. All right, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222, 1, 2, 3, 4. 
open lines if you have a question on any subject. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon. Hi, Frank. In honor of Grimace's birthday this month, let's say McDonald's called you up and wanted you to create a new McDonald's character. What would its name be and what would it look like? Oh, um, well, do I have any 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 parameters about what this person would do or anything like nope. that? Free, free artistic liberty, whatever you want. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I, I don't go to um, to McDonald's, so I'm going to do the best that I can. So I know they have the Hamburglar. I know they have Ronald McDonald. I know they have Grimace. Is there anybody else at McDonald's that I'm missing? Uh, they did you say the bird? They have a bird. They have uh, oh a bird. Okay, and uh, yeah, and um, uh, Matt Blaze just said there's a mayor McCheese as well. All right, so I'll say there's a fella named Mac, right? And he's a lovable, energetic character that represents McDonald's, and uh, he's playful, he's friendly, and he's designed to appeal to both children and adults alike. And he's a round, chubby character with a bright golden complexion in line with the golden arches. He's got a wide smile that stretches from ear to ear, showing off his white teeth. He's got these large eyes and expressive um, expressive eyes that sparkle with both mischief and happiness. And his head is adorned with a red and yellow striped chef's hat symboling the McDonald's colors. He's got a charismatic personality, and he's always exuding exuding a uh, positive, cheerful aura, and he's often shown carrying a tray of McDonald's items, like hamburgers, french fries, a drink. Overall, he's um, eye-catching and instantly recognizable. So it's a yellow... Mac with a mischievous little grin. That's my pick for a McDonald's character. Thank you, uh, Brandon. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. Robert, what's your question? Hi. Did you ever engage in creative writing such as poetry, music, short stories, a book? Well, I never wrote a book. It's on my list, and I, and I have on my phone a list of ideas for a whole bunch of different books. I wrote a, um, a few stor- short stories when I was in school, in both high school and college. Uh, beyond that, most of my creative writing is limited for the radio. I mean, I use it mostly for monologues that I do on the radio or parodies that I do on the radio or things that I do on the radio or things in this realm. Uh, so uh, beyond that, no, I've never really written much in the way of uh, of poetry. It's something I'd like to do, but I'll be honest. Um, my problem with finding the time to write is that there just are is not enough hours in the day in order to do that. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank. Frank, I was wondering, what do you think about this idea? Why or could you think up? A thousand dollar minute, uh, you know, with the ten questions, mm-hmm. all about Star Trek. All the questions. You know, actually, I think that's a great idea, and I hadn't thought of that. But um, we're going to do that on Monday. We will do that on Monday morning, and we will do a thousand dollar minute, all about uh, all about Star Trek. It's a wonderful idea. I'm shocked that I've never thought of that myself. Well done, Gina. And um, maybe we'll have to give out the thousand dollars in gold press platinum. 
But we will absolutely do that. All right. 800-848-9222. For all the folks that generally complain that you can't get through during the uh, uh, Ask Frank Anything portion of the show, right now, open lines. So whatever you have a question about, something you're genuinely curious about, now's the time to get it asked. And if it is creative, original, and innovative enough, out of the box enough, in the eyes of Kenneth, Matt Blaze, and this fellow that we now know is called Elias, they will give you a complimentary prize. So go ahead and call with your questions, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Hello, Friday. I've been waiting for you for a long time to just save me. When my life came crumbling down, ain't gonna leave me. Hello, Friday. I've been waiting for you for a long time. Three, two. Charm, baby, yeah, brighter than this thing on my own, baby. Flo Rida and Jason Derulo singing about Fridays and the weekend. Well, here we are, diving headfirst into the weekend. And we begin the weekend on this program by doing a little Ask Frank Anything, where we give you the opportunity to ask questions about anything you're genuinely curious about. So whatever your questions, I Hopefully, we'll have your answers. Maybe they're political. Maybe they're related to my personal history. Maybe they're related to the radio business. Maybe they're related to uh, casinos. Maybe they're related to, I don't know, anything at all. I am prepared to hypothetical questions. I know those are always popular. 800-848-9222. I am prepared to answer your questions on any subject. All right. We um, did start this week on a great station in the Catskills. W-V-O-S, very honored to be on the voice of Sullivan County. Alfred in uh, Monticello calling not far from there. Hello, Alfred. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I am uh, as happy as a clam at high tide. That's good. Hope your mouth is open then. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed it is. Okay, great. Uh, I don't know if they gave you my question or not. My question is this, simply put, when the government tells us we're going to have nothing and we're going to love it, are we still going to pay taxes on that money that, or whatever they're going to do to us? That's my question. Yes. Um, the only certainties in life are death and taxes. So you, um, those are the only certainties that there are, death and taxes. So you can bet whatever you're getting from the government or Whatever is whatever the government is spending your money on, 
you can bet you are 100% absolutely going to pay taxes on it. All right. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Igor is in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Uh, sorry. Hello, Frank. Igor. Yeah, I got you. Greetings, Frank. Yeah, so um, as you probably know, this past week, Maury Povich announced that he was going to lend his name to an at-home paternity test, which kind of led me to think, are there any products that Frank Morano might lend his name and likeness to? And I have four options for you. Okay. And But you could add your own. And I was thinking, Frank, that maybe um, some of the products you might consider doing that for is uh, a cigar cutter, possibly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a tabletop bartender machine that makes mixed drinks, <laughs> a reintroduction okay. of the bump fighter razor. Ah, I like that. Or an automated earwax removal machine. Um, all right. Well, I'm not going with the earwax removal machine. I'm not going with the automated bartender. The Look, there are a lot of good cigar cutters out there, right? So I don't know that I necessarily need to get on board with one. See, the, the cool thing about something, say, like the George Foreman grill is at least as far as I'm aware, before that – there was nothing really like that. I mean, maybe there was, but and nobody knew about it, but there was nothing like that that people were aware of. Now, the Bump Fighter Razor is something that absolutely intrigues me because there's not something out there now that does what the Bump Fighter did. If people are unfamiliar with what Igor is talking about, I suffer from razor bumps, meaning when I shave, I get on my neck, and a lot of black men and a lot of men with curly hair have the similar issue. I get, uh, there's a technical name to, uh, for it. It's called pseudophilitis barbiturate or something. I get this thing where it looks like my whole neck has acne and it's really very uncomfortable and incredibly unsightly. So I'd love to be part of that. However, in listening to your, your characterization, I'm spurred by another idea. One thing that I'd love to have my name on, and I never see this anywhere else, and I'd love to market this, I'd love to do commercials for this, I'd love to help design this, is a violin case bar. It used to be in the old days, the 60s, the 70s maybe even, you would carry something that looked like a violin case, and then you'd open it up, and there'd be shelves of glasses and spots for bottles and all sorts of other things. I have tried to buy those things online, even through vintage stores and things like that. You can't buy anything like that. So I would like, um, of the options that you gave me, I'm going with something similar to the Bump Fighter Razor. But if I'm crafting a new product from scratch, and if anyone's listening that wants to partner on something like this, it's the violin case bar. I'd love to do that. Walk around with what looks like a violin case, and everyone's asking me, oh, are you a musician? Oh, yeah, 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 I'm a musician. Meanwhile, my brother's a musician. I could ask him enough about music that I can fake actually being a musician. And then you open it up, and oh, look, whoa, there's no violin in there, no viola in there. Oh, look, what's in there? A bottle of whiskey. Wow. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Juliana is in Connecticut. Hello, Juliana. Hi, how are you? Um, my question is uh, another Biden question. I hope nobody's asked it because I just turned you on about 20 minutes ago. Um, if he's uh, accused of all these things and he's really done it, having him in there now, isn't that, can, can he, do, he can be doing detrimental things that we can ever stop. It, it, why are they taking so long to do anything about him? When you say they, who's the they? Well, Republicans, of course. 
Well, I, I think because if, if we, thank you, Juliana, if we're talking about impeachment, impeachment's a political process and uh, that it's very unlikely that you'd ever get a Senate that's controlled by the Democrats to go, especially in a two thirds manner, to remove him from office. And I'll be honest with you, and I've said this before, and I think you're going to listen to this tape a year and a half from now. And these words are going to be proven prophetic. Mark this down. And uh, if, if if I'm wrong, then call me again in a year and a half if I'm lucky enough to still be on the air and remind me that I was wrong. But I don't think I will be. These Hunter Biden allegations and everything else that Joe Biden is going through, the people that are going to push Biden over the ledge on this, it's not going to be James Comer. It's not going to be the congressional Republicans like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene with their, um, you know, impeachment resolutions. It's going to be the Democrats. I believe that the Democrats think that and every strategic mind in the Democratic Party believes that Biden is not a strong general election candidate for 2024. And I think that the Democrats would prefer almost anybody else other than Biden, maybe not Kamala Harris, but almost anyone else. Someone like Amy Klobuchar, someone even like uh, Gavin Newsom, even someone like uh, Pete Buttigieg. I think the Democrats view almost anyone else as a stronger general election candidate to um, against Trump than than Joe Biden is. Now, I said the same thing in New York State in uh, two years ago. There was scandal after scandal involving Andrew Cuomo. And look, you're not going to find a bigger critic of Andrew Cuomo than me. And I said. And you can go back and listen to the podcast, fmwabc.com. Go back and listen from whenever he started getting in trouble. What I said is the Republicans ought to be careful what they wish for. Because right now, with a guy as scandal-plagued and as tarnished as Andrew Cuomo, he's going to have a tough time winning winning re-election. However, if you push him over the edge, if you push him out of the race— and another Democrat emerges, that Democrat is going to have a much easier time being elected. And sure enough, what happened? It wasn't the Republicans that did Andrew Cuomo win. It was the Democrats. People like Letitia James, people like Ron Kim, people like, um, you know, Andrea Stewart-Cousins and Carl Hasty and uh, all the rest. So they could have beaten Andrew Cuomo in 2022 in the governor's race, but he wasn't running. And they weren't able to beat Hochul. I suspect you're going to see the same thing. If you're a Republican right now, the best thing that you can hope for is that Joe Biden is the candidate for 2024. I don't think he will be. I think the Democrats are going to push him over the over the edge. But um, I think if you're a Republican, you have to be praying that Biden stays in this race and is the nominee. I'm not hoping for that because I think you should have the best Republican candidate you can have, the best third-party candidate you can have, and the best Democratic candidate you can have. And I don't think anybody would argue that Biden is the best Democratic candidate you can have. 800-848-9222, Let me say hello to Linda in New Jersey. Hello, Linda. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm interested in uh, what he called the UFOs. I've I've seen a couple already. I mean, people think I'm crazy, but I do see them once in a while. And I'm wondering about them. Have have you ever seen any of them? No. Um I um I'm, where did you see them, Linda? I'm just curious. Uh well, they had them um uh, I've seen them at nighttime once uh over in Edison up uh up near the Raritan Center. 
There was one that looked like a cigar shape. And then I seen another one that was a silver disc. This was during the day. Wow. And uh, and I'm looking and looking. I'm like, look at that. Look at that UFO. And people look at me like I'm crazy. But I know what I've seen. And I, I know they are out there. And uh, not only that, but on um, in my uh, camera, I took a picture one time. And there was a, a silver disc. Uh, in the background of it, and I, I didn't mean to take that. I was taking something else, and and I seen the thing, and I showed everybody. I said, "Oh, look, look, there it is." <laughs> well, so you know, I'd love to see some of those photos, Linda. But no, I don't think you're crazy. I've never seen any myself, but I've seen enough photographs and heard enough testimony from people like you and other people including US Navy pilots etc that I'm of the I'm of the belief that there's something there that there is something there now I don't say it's it's aliens I don't know what it is but that's the question it's not are UFOs real of course they are you've seen them we've seen images of them we've seen photos of them we've heard testimony from US naval pilots and others so the question is what are they are they something from our own government are they something from a high-end military defense contractor? Are they something from a foreign government? China, Russia, maybe someone else? Or are they something otherworldly? And I don't think we've gotten a sufficient explanation to the second part of that question yet. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello. Yeah, Frank. I'd like to say... I wonder if the state and city can have a good uh, 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 Samaritan law that anybody that steps in to help somebody else in distress uh, can help them out without worrying about being carted into uh, a courtroom to to stop them from being locked up for X amount of years for something that they never uh, were in well, they, they yeah. were there to Th- help people, thank you Tom I, I don't know that that's a specific question but I'll do my best to make it into a question based on what you said New York State does have something called a Good Samaritan Law but New York's version of the Good Samaritan Law allows people to call 911 without fear of arrest if they're having a drug or alcohol overdose that requires emergency attention. Now, uh, let's say Matt Blaze and I are here in the studio, and as is routinely the case, he's doing some sort of intravenous drug, and uh, he starts to have an overdose. And let's say I gave him the intravenous drug, which is rarely the case, but look, it happens once in a while. I, in the old days, might have been hesitant to call 911 because I don't want to get in trouble for having all these intravenous drugs. The New York State Good Samaritan Law allows me to call 911 and not be punished for uh, for doing so if I have drugs on me or anything like that. I think what you're talking about is something that would protect somebody like Daniel Penny who uh, witnessed that incident on the subway. The bottom line is uh, my concern with Daniel Penny, and I've talked about this before, is that the pro- his prosecution may lead to fewer people being willing to step up and get involved and protect people. Because when I'm on the subway and I see someone acting crazy, saying he doesn't care if he dies or goes to prison for life and uh, threatening people and harassing people, I want someone like Daniel Penny 
to act to restrain that guy. And I'm concerned that the next guy, whether he's a Marine or just a regular citizen, when he sees somebody going nuts on the subway the next time I'm on it with my family, I'm concerned that uh, he may say, well, well, I don't need that. I don't need my name being dragged through the mud. I don't need to be criminally prosecuted. I'm going to step away. I'm not going to get involved. That's my big fear. I don't believe Daniel Penny is going to be convicted. I think that uh, a jury of Manhattanites that knows what it's like to ride the subway with emotionally disturbed people, people like Jordan Neely, who are unfortunately way too common, I don't believe they're ever going to convict uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Penny. So we'll see where it goes. 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. Joel is in Manhattan. Hello, Joel. Hello, Frank. Good morrow. Uh, question about your morals. Oh, boy. And, and also, do, it's actually two-part. Uh, do you have to sign a morals clause? Where would you say that, uh, with WABC, where would you say that you, you garner your uh, morals from? And, I mean, and maybe you'd split them up, partially family, partially uh, concept of God, partially, I don't know, f- philosophical. I'm just, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll go along with that. I'll go along with everything you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I'll say all those things. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a much better answer than I would have come up with. Yeah, I mean, these questions are easy if you're going to give me the answer right after you ask them. So, yeah, I would say things that I've learned from my family, things that, uh, I don't know, that I've learned from. I mean, look, the golden rule. Jesus always says, treat people as you'd like to be treated. That's what I try to do. And uh, hopefully I'm successful most of the time. So, um, yeah, I would say that's uh, that's kind of what. As far as if I had to sign a morals clause, I, I think so. I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't. I didn't pay too close attention to the contract that I signed. I was so thrilled to be able to have a job in radio that uh, I signed whatever they gave me. So I don't remember if there's a morals clause. There probably is, but I, I honestly don't know, and uh, I don't know that it spells out any specific conduct that I shouldn't be doing. But hopefully, I'm not doing it anyway. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello there, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh... Uh, putting away <clears throat> your prejudices, uh, I want to talk about Atlantic City. Uh, you know, I, I think it's second rate to Las Vegas. And we're having a discussion tonight about it. They don't have a, a good buffet like the Bacchanal. Uh, their buffets are just about gone, from my understanding. Most of it is restaurants. Uh, what happens when the city finally gets table gambling, uh, table games in New York City? Don't you think that's going to really uh, hurt Atlantic City? I mean, there's just so much of the pie that could go around. You really, yeah. they, they hurt them in the economically really badly? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. I've uh, I've said that uh, a great deal. I think that the uh, coming of, of full-blown casinos to the New York City area has the potential to damage two communities, both New York City and Atlantic City. I think it has the potential to damage New York City because gambling and the increased prevalence of legal gambling brings with it an unpleasant element, and it leads to poverty. And with poverty, that leads to more, more spending on things like social services. It also leads to things 
like traffic. And at the same time, I think it has a deleterious effect on Atlantic City because, as you said, there's only so much of the pie that you can slice. And if there's a finite amount of gamblers, and this is part of the reason why Atlantic City was struggling so much 13 years ago, is the increased competition in gambling from places like Connecticut, places like Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland, and elsewhere. So I think that... um, that would only get get worse if New York City had more table games. And that's one of the reasons I was never for uh, table games in Atlantic City. But the one thing that I have to take issue with is your characterization of the buffets in, in Atlantic City. There are a lot of great buffets in Atlantic City. The Borgata Buffet is absolutely outstanding. I mean, it's one of the best that there that there is. Uh, even even the the Hard Rock buffet is just uh, just terrific. Now the Showboat buffet back when that was a casino, that had an incredible buffet because it had once a week king crab legs in the buffet. It was great. I would stay there all night and just eat the king crab legs. You can't do that anymore. They they have good restaurants there, but nothing like the king crab legs buffet. But no, there are a lot of great buffets in Atlantic City. So uh, I don't agree with that aspect of what you said. At all. And as far as your comparison to Las Vegas, there's no comparison. Uh, it's like comparing New York City to um, Chicago. It's just so much larger. I mean, Atlantic City has nine casinos. Vegas has more casinos than I can count. You can Atlantic City is 48 blocks. Las Vegas is miles and miles and miles. It's funny. When I was in Las Vegas about uh, what year is it now? 2013. When I was there in 2012, Roger Stone had asked me to go out there to help him with the Libertarian Convention. He was working with uh, Gary Johnson at the time, who was seeking the Libertarian nomination for president. And I was helping Roger with his political machinations on behalf of Gary Johnson. And I hadn't been to Las Vegas since I was a child. So I don't know what's what. I kind of was under the mistaken impression that Las Vegas was like Atlantic City. And Atlantic City you could take a taxi ride anywhere for $13. You go from one spot in Atlantic City to any other spot, it's $13. And I thought that was going to be the case in Las Vegas. So I'm staying in a hotel, and I take the a taxi cab to the place where the Libertarian Convention was, and the meter is going up. doesn't stop at $13. It's $20. Oh, boy. I only have maybe about $80 on me. Then it goes to $30. Ooh, okay. This is not getting good. $40. This meter is not stopping anytime soon. $70. Okay, driver. I'm sorry. I I need you to just leave me off here. This was a cab that uh, didn't take credit cards, and I only had $80 of cash on me. You got to just leave me off here. I'm sorry. I don't have any more money, and I know you're just leaving me in the middle of nowhere in the desert, but I have no idea how I'm going to continue to pay you. So he just left me off in the middle of nowhere, and I was able to find a number for a taxi service that did take credit cards and go on my way. But that was a rude awakening for me. There's no comparison between Las Vegas and Atlantic City. Um, Both places have different attributes. Both places have different characteristics. There are good things about both places, bad things about both places. I'm sure Las Vegas would kill for the water and the boardwalk of Atlantic City. I'm sure Atlantic City would kill for the convention business of Las Vegas. There's no comparison. The only comparison is that they both have gambling. But as you yourself mentioned, Neil, there's a lot of places. That have uh, that have gambling these days. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Isabel is in Manhattan. Hello, Isabel. 
Hi, Frank. Uh, my question is, do you have a favorite season of the year and the CSY? Mm. Um, thank you, Isabel. It's either spring or summer. I think it's summer because I still so associate summer with being out of school and not having to go to school. And uh, and baseball, which is very big in the summer, both as a fan and as somebody that likes to play baseball. So it's either spring or summer. Spring for the weather, summer because of all the great memories that I have of summer and all the great things there are to do in the summer. The Fourth uh, of July weekend, the barbecues, the going to your friends and your family's house and having pool parties and things like that. It's a uh, it's a fun season. So uh, I would say it's that it's either spring or summer. I, I would say it's summer with spring a close second. All right. We're going to continue with your questions in a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Monday morning feels so bad. Everybody seems to nag me. Coming Tuesday, I feel better. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, ten minutes from now, Freddie Mertz is in the building. And no, he's not an I Love Lucy character. We are going to uh, get into a whole bunch of subjects with Freddie Mertz. What it is, I'm not exactly sure, but believe me, it is going to be interesting. A lot of you listening to us in the New York area may remember when uh, Freddie Mertz was the overnight host on uh, WABC about three and a half decades ago. We'll reminisce about that era and a whole bunch of other things. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, We are doing... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Whatever you have questions about, now is the time to go ahead and ask. 800-848-9222. We're going to try and get to as many questions as we can in the next 10 minutes. And uh, whomever comes up with the most interesting, most creative, most innovative, out-of-the-box question in the minds of Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and Elias, we'll give you a complimentary piece of merchandise from the other side of Midnight Online Store. Thomas is in Baltimore. Hello, Thomas. How are you, Frank? I'm well, thank you. 
Yeah, I'm a big pizza guy. I guess you are too. Absolutely, unfortunately. Uh, what do you? What's your take on this uh, thing about the pizza missions in, in New York City? You want to ban all that? I mean, that? I think it's a joke. I think it's an absolute joke. I, I mean, it, to me, it's the equivalent of shuffling chairs on the Titanic while uh, the well after the, it's hit an iceberg. I mean, I think it's going to do almost nothing. And I think it's completely unfair to these small business owners where the mar- the, nar- the margins are very narrow as it is. If we've determined that uh, coal and wood fire ovens are such a threat to public health that we need to ban them, then the city needs to pay for the upgrade to the filtration systems themselves. You can't put that burden on the business. It's completely unfair, and it makes no sense, especially when uh, the state is right now implementing congestion pricing, which is just going to make traffic congestion in the areas outside of Manhattan so much worse. I mean, what's worse, a coal-fired pizzeria in a place like Brooklyn or Queens, or having cars backed up there because there's now a bottleneck because of congestion pricing. I think I think I think it's I think it's absolute buffoonery, quite honestly. And it has nothing to do with the fact that um, that I'm quite fond of both coal and wood fired pizza. Arthur is in Montreal, Canada. Hello, Arthur. I am listening to you. Hey, Frank, I'm on the app. I'm on the WBC app. Love it. And I am wondering. Why? I'm in the store. Why is the Cousin Brucey embroidered adjustable hat the number one rated selling item on the store? It's available in Black Navy Cranberry. It's $44 Canadian. It can be shipped to me by July 7th to the 10th. Why is that the number one? And I, lo- I love your show. You, you Why know, are you not number one? I, I, yeah. like, this is, is the. Is it, should, should, yeah. should I buy it? Uh, you know, uh, Arthur. Me, Frank, I need to know. I'm I'm trying, but and you I, keep I, speaking. Um, honestly, this is the first I'm hearing of it. I'm looking online now. I see there's a cousin Brucey hat. I'm not sure if it's the one you're talking about. There's a few different cousin Brucey hats. There's one that looks kind of cool. Um, it has different logos and different colors. I don't know if that's the one you're talking about, but um, I have no idea why that's number one. I, I guess it's because cousin Brucey is so popular. Cousin Brucey, by the way, will be on this program a week from today. I spoke with him the other day. He will be here a week from today. One of the greatest DJs of all time, honestly. And I don't think that's an exaggeration to say. 800-848-9222. Gregory is in Ohio. Hello, Gregory. Hi, Frank. I'm from Steubenville. Wonderful. Dean Martin area, right? Yes. My question is, why can't you change uh, your question, you know, for 60 seconds? Why can't you change it to 77 seconds, like the TV, like your station? Well, because we're on a lot of stations. We're on about 30 stations around the country, Gregory. So I guess then there'd be a lot of uh, challenge, a lot of pressure when uh, somebody from Memphis, the mighty 990, calls in to make it 99 seconds. Or somebody from uh, WCBM in Baltimore calls in to make it 68 seconds. So we have listeners from all over the country. We're not going to adjust it based on the frequency of whatever station they're listening. We have listeners out on Long Island listening on Talk Radio 1071. We're not going to make it 107 seconds. So, no. I mean, it's a minute. It's the $1,000 minute. It's not the $1,000 whatever frequency you're listening on. 800-848-9222. George is in Manhattan. Hello, George. Hi there. Two quick ones. 
One is Joan Hamburg, what happened, you know, and also she was my favorite, by the way. Cindy, too, you know, those two, because they uh, discuss uh, yeah, different uh, topics, etc. Okay. They don't stick to the news. Yeah, the other question I have, the other question, uh, Frank, are you there? Yes, what's your question, All George, right, please? Sorry. All right, why not give away uh, WABC logo merchandise for free because they're doing advertising for you, the wearers? Yeah, I guess. Be- thank you. Thank you, George. I guess the answer to your latter question is because. The radio station wants to make money, and you make money by selling merchandise. And I guess the value of selling the merchandise is greater than the free advertising. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I noticed last weekend that Joan Hamburg wasn't on, so I actually asked uh, somebody that knows Joan Hamburg what the story is with her, and I'm told she's still doing a podcast. So I don't know if that was her decision or if that was a decision by station management, but I have no idea. Honestly, they don't consult me about that kind of a thing, but I'm a fan of Joan Hamburg as well. I love Joan Hamburg. She's been a uh, a guest on this show. Betsy is in New Jersey. Hello, Betsy. Hi. Um, I'm wondering if you could expand on why you described Greg Kelly as bizarre. Did I? When did I do that? I'm sure when I did. You were asked I don't to remember. describe each host with an adjective. Oh, um, why did I? You know, it's a good question. So, uh, Greg, I don't know very well at all. I know his father a little bit, and he's uh, a, a great guy, the father, and somebody that I really admire. And for people listening out around the country, his dad was the greatest police commissioner I think New York has ever had. And certainly the longest serving. As far as Greg, it, you know, I don't want to I don't want to say anything negative about him because I know he has his fans. Um, the best I could say is the way he interacts with people is very bizarre. You know, I've heard the way he's dressed down certain staff members. And really, it's not the way that people should talk to one another. And I've I've also heard kind of um, how he responded to another radio personality, Sid Rosenberg, when Sid was going on and on about his wife. Now, Sid does about a 7.6 in the ratings, and I think uh, Greg does like a 2.6. So now, if I was in Greg's position, I would be saying, what can I do to be more like Sid? And yet, Greg went on Sid's show and whined that Sid was talking too much about his wife. And to me, that struck me as such a bizarre way to behave he also, you know, I'm in here usually about two hours before our show every day because I need to prep. Now, maybe Greg's a lot smarter than me. In fact, he probably is. But Greg comes in here not an hour before a show, not two hours before a show. He comes in here 20 seconds before a show. He does no show prep. He just walks right into the studio and just kind of rants about whatever's on his mind. And then these bizarre tangents that he goes on on the air. Again, I'm not saying anything bad about him because I know he has his fans. And um, the couple times that I've met him, he's certainly been nice to me. He's just um, he just strikes me as a peculiar guy. The way that he talks about issues, the way he responds to callers. um, And then I, I, I don't know. You know, sometimes when people have personal struggles. And then they find God. They go a little overboard in being religious. And I think that might be some of what you see in in Greg. I think he just goes a little too far in maybe making up for issues with his with his past. Um, But look, I don't know him too well, uh, so I'm not going to I don't want to prejudge. 
anything about him. Um, I know he loves radio, and I know he has a lot of fans. And I say, you know, best of luck to him. I hope he does well. We're on the same station in New York and I think a couple of other places. So the better he does, the better we all do. And uh, I wish him nothing but the best. 800-848-9222. Tony is in New Jersey. Very brief if you can, Tony. Frank, quickly. Recently in Las Vegas, there were a lot of uh, UFO sightings in a particular neighborhood, all describing the same thing. And what's really frustrating is that the, the investigations got nowhere and they closed the case. I think we need, and this is, this is your challenge, we need a UFO buster. We need a company that gets things done and knows how to make connections. What's the name of your company and how are you going to get these cases off? Because we're getting tired of these cases getting closed and going nowhere. Yeah, uh, Tony, I, I've been following those Las Vegas cases pretty closely. I was unaware that they closed that, those cases that you're talking about. But uh, we'll do um, we'll revisit those on Monday because I think those Vegas I was I've been waiting for now three weeks. And I keep saying this. I've been waiting for somebody to come out and say that those hoaxes that those cases were a hoax and so far nobody's been able to prove that that was a hoax so i don't know what the story is but um it's certainly worth exploring nick in virginia can you make it 40 seconds or less yes sir i'm wondering how people in new york city are going to be able to separate their solid waste i'm sorry the uh Organic waste from the regular trash. You know, it's a good question, and it's one that I worry about a lot. Uh, Nick is talking about composting, which is coming to New York. How are they going to enforce that? That's the question I've had, and I've been talking about that in some of my local commentaries. I have no idea. I think um, it's certainly a laudable goal because who needs all these eggshells and banana peels in the landfill? But I don't know. How are you going to enforce it? We'll see. Uh, Matt Blaze, best question. Igor in New Jersey product you put your name on. Igor in New Jersey, call back 800-848-9222. We'll give you a prize. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. It's a funny thing about overnight radio. Those of us that listen to it on a regular basis and those of us that participate in it in a regular basis, we're almost something of a fraternity. And anybody that has done this, that has made a habit of listening to the radio in these hours, that has made a habit of being on the radio in these hours, knows there's something very unique about it, something very special about it, and you almost feel bonded towards everybody else that uh, does this. Now, sometimes that means you feel a connection with a listener listening to the same type of radio show that you are, even though you guys have never met. That's one of the reasons we created the Facebook group, to allow people who have never met one another to connect about their um, commentary about this show. But 
in being on overnight radio, sometimes it also means um, really having a great deal of respect and reverence for those people that have come before you. I have the good fortune of sitting across from one of the people that was a trailblazer in overnight talk radio, particularly in New York City, but really around the country. A fella that uh, did very, very, very well in terms of uh, doing this time slot on WABC in New York, but he's also been on the air in New Jersey, in Connecticut, in Tampa, in a bunch of other places. I am very, very pleased uh, to be able to welcome Freddie Mertz, veteran radio talk show host who formerly hosted overnights on WABC in New York three and a half decades ago. Freddie, welcome. Oh, my God. Get a shovel and some dirt and some fertilizer. <laughs> Thank you, You're Frank. not dead yet, though, Freddie. I once worked as an oldies DJ, actually a couple of times, and the GM and the program director said, Freddie, Freddie, stop saying the late Jim Morrison. Stop saying the late. They're all dead or they're going to die. But thank you. Thank you, Frank. You made me feel so good. Now, Freddie, yes, yes. a lot of when I was telling a lot of people that you were coming on, a lot of folks made the comparison to I Love Lucy oh, because you have Fred and Ethel Mertz, the neighbors of uh, the Ricardos. Uh, the um, What what was it like for you having the same name as one of these I Love Lucy characters? Is that your real name or is that a stage name? I, I plead the fifth and the sixth, but it's it's the name <laughs> that I've been and that I call myself. And, and so, uh, so it really is. But, you know, it's forgotten after a few times you're brand new someplace. You know, Ethel's in my trunk. Uh, once dated a girl who looked like her. But, no, it, it, it's forgotten very quickly. All right. Um, tell me about – and there's a lot of things that I want to go over with you over the course of the next hour. Tell me about your time here at uh, at WABC. And if people listening around the country, WABC is one of the most listened to talk radio stations in the country. It's kind of the the New York Yankees of talk radio, at well, least the Mets, in the – Well, the Mets in, in our case. <laughs> no. Frank, come on. <laughs> at least in the New York area. Um, yeah. Explain to folks how you ended up at uh, WABC and what your tenure was like here. You know, and I was going to talk to you off the air. We never – just as a background, we've talked in snippets and not by by design whenever i called you yeah, were busy you were with the family right, you, you, were, you were breastfeeding the kid exactly. you were in a restaurant so you know, just very very quick so we've been communicating on and off for about the past year congratulations you sound good but we never really had the chance to talk right i would have liked to talk for a bit uh to you but you know what i love this radio station it's been through several permutations uh probably four five owners since i've been here and i say i came in the back door my car, and this is crazy. Here I am in New York, the number one market right now, and I'm worried, will my car be towed a block away? Well, we're going to get into Some that. things never change. Right. You know what I'm saying? But, but basically, uh, I was not uh, – uh, you can call WABC and, and apply for a job and send something that we call air checks – which, when I was doing it, you literally had to send a CD or a cassette or something like that. Thank God for email and What's MP3s. No idea. Yeah. No idea. But it's funny. I believe you have, and I was talking with your screener about this, your producer, about how to pronounce N-E-V-A-D-A. And you know how to say it. But the typical New Yorker does not know how to say it. So that was the the Nevada Talk Radio yes. Network. That is the first station group that carried us outside of New York. And they said... We will not carry you unless you say Nevada. Right. And, That's if it. and I was hired to do the morning show. My first talk job from after being a disc jockey was in Reno. And I did not know how to say N-E-V-A-D-A. <laughs> so I went on the air and said it, and I'm not going to say it, but the wrong way to say it, and it made the front page of the newspaper. We have a moron who was doing, <laughs> now, you have to be right, it was a station AM 1450, I think it's Spanish ESPN now, but at the time it was a country station that had long forgotten down to flatline. But if you go on the air, 
in Reno, N-E-V-A-D-A, and you pronounce it the wrong way, you will make the paper. People will listen to oh, see sure. who is the idiot who cannot say the name of the state. So was that where you started in radio in Nevada? For talk radio. For talk. I was a disc jockey before that. And yeah. where'd you grow up? Well, oh, it's a test tube baby. Uh, my father was in the military in Arizona, but grew up in the city. And believe it or not, though I don't have the accent unless it's very late, Howard Beach. Really? Way, oh, yes. Okay. The legend, because I know you talk about it and Curtis talks about it and the bodies in the bay. And I'll tell you something. Howard Beach, this is a well-kept secret, is probably the best smelling place in all of Queens, if not the city of New York. And I've gone back to verify this. Because of the food? Because of, well, the food's very good, but the bay, oh. the bay water. I mean, Rockaway is congested, and, and I, I know that I think Sid lives there. I mean, I'm not a fan of Rockaway. People would go there fishing, but Howard Beach was very tranquil. You, know, you have the old Howard Beach. You have Lindenwood, Rockwood Park. It's, and of course, you can go over the border, go to East New York, Brooklyn. But the air in Howard Beach, and I was back a few months ago just to verify this before I would say it, it always smells good. Huh. You know, yeah. I spent a lot of time in Howard Beach, I must say. I have never taken note of the smell. So um, you were doing talk shows starting in Nevada and some other places. I know you were on um, at WFAL in Florida, which is a Actually, big FLA, station. FLA, but I like the way you're saying WFAL. It's pretty foul, yeah. And that was a wild station back at the time. Oh, no, I know. I know some folks that were on that station at the time. But how did you end up here at WABC? Well, you know, it's kind of a crazy story. You really can't apply for the job. I was working for somebody who, uh, actually, no, I was heard somewhere. I was heard in two places. Somebody heard me in Reno, and somebody heard me in Seattle. And they both called the then program director. Actually, I think somebody called a previous manager uh, who I talked to and didn't hire me. And then uh, when the program director who came in, who was, was that John, Minnelli? John Minnelli, who hired uh, Rush Limbaugh, and also uh, most of the people who would still be here. Curtis Sliwa, and, uh, and, and, you know, people who have passed right. away. So John's been a guest on the show. Yeah, Great right. guy. So, so John was the one who brought me in. And I didn't believe the call. I got a call from John Minnelli, and somebody who he used to work for heard me in Seattle and said, you want to get this guy on. And I thought it was a crank call. I did not believe any of this. This was the true story. I did not even believe it. So that's how I got to be here. And my first assignment was filling in for Bob Grant. You're kidding. I kid you not. Boy, I mean, talk about uh, yeah. an intimidating first uh, first assignment. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, that was at a time when Bob was the undisputed king of talk radio all over the country. And Minnelli was a wild man in that he had a philosophy that I think is awesome and that nobody else in talk radio that I know of does. If somebody, let's say Bob Grant, was very conservative Minnelli would try to have the person filling in for Bob Grant be, you know, I, I hate the labels. That's a right, whole separate same, thing. I same, hate same. the labels. But he'd like to put somebody on who didn't have the same views. Right. And even if it would piss off the audience somewhat, he'd like to stir the pot. And so God bless him. So that's how I get, got the chance to work and fill in for, uh, for Bob Grant. And he was a very quiet guy. I saw him in the building a few times when he came back, and I filled in. I used to fill in for him after that entire first week or two. I would do the Monday holidays. And another crazy story, although I am Jewish, Bob Grant took off the Jewish holidays. <laughs> and so Minnelli called me and said, uh, Freddie, I expect you to work on, uh, I don't know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. I said, well, he said, I said, John, well, I am Jewish. I said, he, I, he, I, but Bob Grant's got to take the day off. He's more well-known in the market than you are. So I said, okay, great. 
<laughs> so you know, it's funny. Um, if you, one Google's your name, uh, you come upon. Oh, don't don't. No, you come upon a um, a where are they now radio page yeah. that uh, that that describes you in thus a manner. Freddie Mertz is one of a kind, a great talk radio pioneer. Pioneer because he was the he was one of the first to quote do it differently. And then uh, this person, I believe it's uh, Ted Webb, goes on to write. Oh, the late Ted. Uh, Ted it, died about a year it, ago. It goes on to. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, but um, it writes Mertz did not sound like any of them, meaning the other people on the radio. He sounded great. Uh, truly a talented radio guy. Now, putting aside whether you sounded great or not, Thank would you, Frank. Would, would you, would <laughs> you say that you were a talk radio pioneer? If so, what made you such a pioneer? I compete with nobody except myself. I have to be honest with you. I'm my, my worst critic, like many of us are. And uh, I, you know, I think we're all influenced by people. I started off as a disc jockey, as a music personality. So I've always approached talk as the, the song is playing, it's going to be over in three and a half or four or five minutes. And uh, what am I going to say? And so I got into talk radio really as somebody who enjoyed doing the phone bits. I love doing the phone bits. And so I kind of backed into it that way. And it wasn't, I wasn't content just, you know, do a quick bit, blah, 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 commercial. And so when I had the chance to go out to Reno, and by the way, it is Nevada. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's Nevada, not the other way. Although there is a Nevada in Missouri. You're kidding. Or Missouri. Missouri. And that, and that right. is Nevada, by the way, yes. <laughs> But uh, so, you know, it, it kind of happened by accident. And so getting the call to fill in here. But I'll tell you a funny story, and this is the way this business works. We had a general manager at the time. I'm not even going to say his name, but the guy was a complete putz. And, um, Sounds so like uh, Fred Winehouse. That was the one. <laughs> and so I am on the very first day filling in for Bob Grant. And I'm all charged up, and I'm all excited. And Manelli was a very quiet guy. He wasn't an overbearing guy. Good luck. Have a good show. He didn't micromanage you. If there were certain things that maybe you did that he didn't like, he would tell you in a very professional way. So I'm running to the bathroom. Probably, you know, fluids going out, fluids going in. I'm thinking of an old Temptation song. All because of the color of their skin. <laughs> so anyway, I'm running to the bathroom. Got my, I have my coffee. And Fred Winehouse passes me and says, uh, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Freddie Mertz. I'm filling in for Bob Grant. Oh, he says, oh, you're the guy on the air right now? This is the general manager. And I said, yes. He says, do you always sound the way you do today? <laughs> and he made a face. And this was not a compliment. The guy was basically trying. Here's the general manager, my first day on the air at this station, WABC, on a bathroom slash coffee break, basically telling me, I think you suck. <laughs> You know, so th- this, this is what, and people don't realize, this is radio. Right. So I told Minnelli. And Minnelli goes, and he, I'm sure he would corroborate this. He says, Freddie, don't worry about it. You're in great company. He <laughs> hates, and he rattled off all the names of people the general manager hated. So that was supposed to be a badge of That's courage. very funny. So I, yeah. ne- I don't think I've ever met Fred, and um, I never certainly never worked with him or for him. But uh, I know a lot of people that did, and all the salespeople that worked for Fred Winehouse at the time that I knew, they all refer to him because they viewed him as so slick and such a hustler as Fast Freddy, right, <laughs> that he was always trying to get one over on you. And then um, one fella at On Air Talent said that Fred would be dressed to the nines four days a week. He would um, dress and act like a total gangster. And then on Fridays, he would be wearing a velour jumpsuit. 
accurate or inaccurate? Don't know. To be honest with you, I worked all different day parts or shifts or shows. To me, shift is more like a gas station would have. So, although I admire those people, uh, especially in New Jersey where you don't pump your own gas, they say it's full service, last but you state, know it's not. Oregon just legalized uh, self-service, so New ah, Jersey's the last state. How now. about that? How about that? But it's never really full service. I mean, come on. But in any event, yeah, I mean, you know, the glory days of radio, I did not really get to live those. Like I said, I came in the back door. My car was double parked. I enjoyed the people that I met. And one of the nicest, uh, and again, our opinions weren't the same on many things, was Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, and people don't realize this at the time, he was his star was rising. So he was doing a local show here at WABC. And I want to talk about the news, the current stuff. But, but Rush, though, was really a cheerleader for talk radio in the building. Sure. And he didn't have to be. Rush didn't have to. There are some talk show hosts who will not say hello to anybody. They're in their own world. It's like, who, I'm the, like that. who the heck are you? I, I don't no, say hello no, to anybody. No, you're yes, not. No, you're that's not. That's true. But, uh, but Rush, I still recall. Maybe he felt sorry for me. <laughs> maybe he said, God, this poor guy. But he was always somebody, when I worked a shift that would be a show, that would be adjoining his, or I was in the building, no matter what he was doing during a commercial break, Freddie Mertz, get in here. So when people would pick on Rush Limbaugh and say this bit was whatever it was, I recall a guy who would tell me, you know, good show. I like the bit you did with this. And I couldn't believe he was listening to me. And then he would mention, you know, I like that phone bit. And I'm thinking, God, he, Rush Limbaugh is listening to me. So thank you for that. And I was very sad that he passed away. Oh, no, I, I, I never got to know him, but uh, I was a big fan. It's interesting that you mention uh, phone bits. Uh, l- let me read a bit from the Tampa Bay Times, March of 1990. WFLA's early, early morning star, Freddie Mertz of the ABC Talk Radio Network, was swept away in a hush a week and a half ago. The often wild, sometimes woolly, and always vocal Mertz, who worked locally on WFAL in the summer of 1988, um, most uh, most lately as uh, was WABC was ABC's three to six a.m. chatter. FLA carried him on the network three to five. He's now assembling audition tapes in the hopes of a oh. next job. <laughs> Apparently, um, there was a phone bit that didn't go too well, and it resulted in your firing. What happened? Tell us. Frank, do we have to discuss this? Do we have to Come discuss this? Come on, it's this? interesting. People no, want it, to know. It, wasn't, it wasn't one phone bit, actually. It wasn't, wasn't that at all. Um, it was just a ridiculous thing. But, I mean, I'm proud of it. And, actually, my return, I, I actually returned to WFLA. So, my job after uh, WABC and the ABC Network, I was part of that as well, was WFLA. So, I returned to that station as uh, what they call the weekend swing personality and then went to a station that they owned uh, somewhere else and you know, it, it's an odyssey, and I will tell you, be thankful for the ride that you're having oh, right now, ha- and absolutely. be thankful you're working for good people, because there's an old saying, there were too many cooks in the kitchen, and now there's loads of kitchens. I mean, you could put on the Food Channel, and you can see weird kitchens on PBS and Channel 21. My God, they really go from, from, from bad to worse. Everybody's <laughs> got a cooking show now, but there are too many cooks in the kitchen, and you know, there's not one way to skin this cat, but... You know, I, I'm not here to be the expert how to do it, but I feel I'm a good judge of what. And I can, I can ask you the same thing. When I hear you doing your talk show, I hear you listening to it. You hear what you're doing. And I don't know if you have all the OCD that I do, but you, you don't want to be bored. You want to do the show and you want the show to entertain you. And I don't mean that in an egomaniacal way. No, 100%. Way. Right, what am, right. I, what but, am I doing but, here? But what I'm saying, most shows, the show is done before the show begins. Right. You know, we'll play a little piece from Fox News, and we'll play the same, give the same talking point, yeah. and give me a vomit spatula, please. <laughs> okay? Think for yourself. 
If it was on Fox News two days ago, why do we want to hear it now? You know, I mean, let's have some fun. What, what, what is going to happen tonight or today that didn't happen yesterday? But the, but the bit that I did that, that actually got me off the network, and, and there was a crazy story because of Fred Winehouse. He did not want my show on WABC, from what I understand. Um, I, I got this story from Minnelli. <laughs> so, John, if you're listening, I'm sorry. So I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I'm working on the network, and WABC has a free show that I'm being paid to do, and it's only on weekends. I, I didn't know what was going on. So I'm doing a show in the ABC News building, and this general manager hated my show so much that it was taken off WABC. And, and I'm sure that wasn't certainly John felt bad about that. So that was one of the things. And so I'm on the air doing the show, and one of our biggest affiliates was Phoenix, Arizona. And we had Tucson, where my life began. My dad was in the Army, actually, at the Fort Huachuca. So um, we have Tucson, and we have Phoenix. And because of the size of that station, at a certain time, and you, you know that. I see you have certain calls. Oh, sure. I do listen to you. I can't sleep. Thank you. Yeah. So at about 5.15 in the morning, Frank has all the Baltimore calls. Right, exactly. Well. <laughs> and that same station was an affiliate of ours. Oh, really? So you were on WCBM? Indirectly. Wow. And I was on the other one, WBAL, when I worked mm. for CBS. Yeah, so we don't actually, like WBAL. Well, I never actually lived or worked in Baltimore gotcha. physically, but gotcha. I had to be me to a very, very good talk radio market. So anyway, at a certain time of the morning, you have all your calls coming in from, you know, whatever it might be, Maryland. So we had a certain hour where half the calls were coming in from Arizona. All of a sudden, no Arizona calls. None. Absolutely none. Well, I didn't get the memo that the Phoenix station decided to hire somebody locally or go with some other network show. So I just asked on the air, what happened to my Phoenix people? What's going on? Well, the general manager there did not like that. And, you know, I, I just wanted to say goodbye to Phoenix. Sure. So I just did some shtick about how much Phoenix meant to me. Actually, my life began an hour south of there in, in Tucson, Fort Huachuca, whatever. But I just asked the question, what happened to Phoenix? What did I do? And apparently uh, uh, they didn't appreciate that. And they were just looking for a reason to get rid of me. And, and, and it wasn't costing that much. Believe me, I think I was paying to work to park. Maybe the parking <laughs> was included on trade out. Uh, speaking of money, how, uh, people are just saying we're talking with uh, with Freddie Mertz, veteran radio talk oh show God. host uh, who has been described by some as uh, a very entertaining guy who's probably worked at more radio stations oh, than you've ever listened to. Thank you, Frank. Um, the- <laughs> let me let me send this air check out. Thank you, Frank. I don't think that's a negative. I mean, getting getting to work at any radio station is a rare thing to get getting to work at many is a special thing. How do you make money these days? I don't. I really do well, not. Well, how do you pay your bills? Well, I'd you... rather, Frank, I'd rather not get into other things that I've done. I, I mean, for example, I, I can do some other things, uh, and you have to. You have to be able to. But the, the, the disease, the passion, I'm sorry, the passion is talk radio. And so no matter what I'm doing, and I've also written, I've been a reporter for some newspapers, uh, although uh, doing the talk show, obviously, I've got to give my opinion. But I have been uh, a feature writer. I've worked for uh, a number of companies. I think Gannett owns them all right now, but I've also been a reporter uh, in Mississippi where I've done talk radio as well and also was a reporter across the river in New Jersey and done some other things as well, totally unrelated to radio. But I tell people, how do you keep in tune? You know, how do you do this thing? When I was a little kid, I recall walking in the city with my parents, and there'd be somebody in the street who I would think would be a maniac, or they would tell me, oh, that's just some maniac, and there'd be a person talking to himself, walking in the street. 
Well, that, that's me some days. <laughs> you know, there might be a monologue I'm doing. Am I saying this out loud? <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is you always keep in, and I'm sure you do this, you always keep in, in shape by living life on the air, off the air. So if I go to a bank or I go whenever I go shopping, I mean, whatever it is, the shtick is always there. And it may not be broadcast, but if you're with me at the time, you are stuck with my shtick. You know, um, I totally empathize with that. And it's funny, I uh, before I was married, I had a girlfriend and she would ask my opinion on this or whatever about that. And I would tell her, well, I talked about that on the radio. You really should have listened. And she said, I get the Frank Morano show every day. Exactly. I don't really want to be able to have to <laughs> listen to it in my spare time, the few hours that we're apart. Right. But the, the difference between – and I get everything that you just said – but if they told me tomorrow that I was fired, within three to four weeks, I'd be homeless. Right. right. Because oh, I, I, I have no been homeless. I, I have been homeless in this business. I have been on food stamps. I am not going to, you know, everybody's supposed to have this wonderful uh, rags to riches story. Um, but not everybody who works. And I always say that, you know, it's a labor of love and we subsidize the people who make the money. You know, and, and God bless him. Some are great people. I always defend Rush because he was always nice to me and and made me feel like, you know, here's a shot of confidence. But the point is that there are a few people who make the money in this business and the rest of us, just like I guess in acting and many other things, it's a labor of love. You can pay your bills. You live like a camel. You have to save, not the kind you smoke, but you, you know, mm. the Joe Camel, but you save your money and you have to do some other things. But it's a passion of mine, as it's a passion of yours, and I'd like to. I, I'm, I'm still, you know, still would love to be doing this full time. It, it is uh, well, and it's a, uh, it's a shame that you're not on the air anywhere regularly. I, I wish you were, and we got a lot of great stations listening right now, and uh, hopefully uh, somebody will uh, will take that suggestion to heart. It is interesting, though. Uh, we had, I think, a couple of email exchanges about your appearance today and one brief phone conversation. And I asked you a couple of times, let me know what you want to talk about. You didn't give me any suggestions about what you wanted to talk about. However, you did manage in the three brief or four brief interactions that we had in preparing for this hour together. You did manage to ask repeatedly about the parking situation. You are very <laughs> fixated on this parking situation. Well, it's not that. It's just that, uh, again, being very OCD, and I did go to college for the, uh, let me say, I did like 75% of my college in Mississippi. Uh, yes, I graduated from the Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, whoop de doo but I also graduated from uh, a combination of Hunter and John Jay and did my last year uh, in the city and, and drove in like a redneck and, and parked, and I had a professor ask me, how can you find your car? I said, I always can unless the marshal takes it, <laughs> and you become an expert, especially going to Hunter, uh, you know, as where you can park. So, you know, at this time of the night, I can't believe all the traffic going on, all the people. Right. I mean, beautiful women are walking out at 2 in the morning, and they aren't hookers, and, and all kinds of things. It's like, uh, but I'm looking for a spot, and every spot right near this building, and Frank, of course, says, Freddie, don't worry about it. Spots everywhere, everywhere. You know, a taxi stand, you know, so, well, I, I know Frank Morano. We'll see what that's going to get me in court. So I just, <laughs> I, I just had to pee and get in here. So I know it's a very classy operation, and this is a beautiful place. The kitchen here, my God, you could feed I, a whole uh, homeless me. group. I, I had uh, yeah. two bowls of granola right before we got on the air. There's so, free Progresso soup in the kitchen here. <laughs> you got, um, you, so you got a parking spot. That was... I don't think it's legal. Okay, well, it's close. <laughs> 
close enough. We'll, we'll close find enough. out. But uh, no, I did leave you with a few things. I, I'm not a fan of, I like to do the, the show prep. I'm a stickler for that. But the best shows, and I think you'd agree with this, are the ones where you bring all this stuff in and you don't get to half of it. I mean, like affirmative action made the news today. It's a big deal about the overturn of affirmative action. And I have a feeling that you're a huge fan of George Carlin. We oh, never talked about please, this. Please, 100%. Yeah. And one of the many lines of shtick that he did was the stupidity of language and phrases that the government comes up with to give something a title that it has no relation to what it is. <laughs> what in God's name does affirmative action means? I mean, affirmative action, it's like uh, social distancing. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> Although I'll tell you something, I'm, I've, be, I've actually missed social distancing. <laughs> You know, I kind of like, I go to, let's say, ShopRite or someplace and pick on them, but I kind of like that group behind me to be six feet away. If they have kids, you know, if it's a beautiful woman, that's one thing. You know, look at the mask. What does she really look like? But I kind of miss that six foot thing. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not missing. I'm not with you on that at all, Freddie. But no, not, uh, the, I, ma- I totally not the mask mandate. I not, we you. can get into that. But but affirmative action, though, it's a crazy phrase that most people never really knew what it meant for better or worse. Did it mean quota? So I'm not saying that I would support what happened, but there still needs to be some definition. What exactly is affirmative action? And and, and there are several groups, and you know, for example, Jews who never got a benefit from that at all. Um, so if you're in certain groups, it didn't even help you. Right. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure it helped some people. Some people who it helped, they now disown it. But but the thing is that the, the phrase itself, though, it really needs to be blown up and called something else. Yeah, I, I uh, totally agree with you on that front. Freddie Mertz is here. If you want to call in, if you want to comment, if you have a question for Freddie, you can do so at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Singing in the air tonight, uh, playing this in the uh, in honor of Mike Tyson, whose birthday it is today. Obviously, Phil Collins did a fairly good job with this song, but not nearly as good as Mike Tyson did in the film The Hangover. Joined in studio for the hour by Freddie Mertz, a veteran radio talk show host. If you're not familiar with uh, Freddie Mertz, he's not the guy from I Love Lucy. He's worked on many different radio stations around the country as both a DJ and a talk talent. And, uh, for instance, here is uh, Freddie's commentary on bagels on a station called no, WRKL. Oh, no, don't. Don't play that. No, hey, no, what's going no. On? 12 before 4 o'clock from AM 910 WRKL on the Freddie Mertz Show soliciting. Well, just plain soliciting, actually, but your calls especially here. Oh, yeah. 
This will be the pulling teeth day. I just know it. <laughs> I just, oh. I can just feel it. Anyway, three six two ninety one hundred. Uh, they had some Giuliani, in the building. I don't know Mayor what it was, Giuliani called me on that station one day to argue with me. Yeah, what that means, the employees were not about in this the morning, so crossed me off. <laughs> of the cream cheese and the small little prefab packets, and a whole bag full of bagels. So I kind of reach in there, and I guess some people in the building are on diets, and perhaps this happens in your office, maybe at home. I can't believe it though. You'd be this tacky, but you would take the bagel out, and maybe you feel, well, I can't go the whole bagel. I'll have a half. Or I'll just pull a piece off and then put the rest of the bagel in. That means you've grabbed the bagel with your hand, you've pulled the piece off, or knowing the people that work in this building, maybe bitten the piece off, and then you throw it back in the bag. I've now, seen that done with feeling. pizza, Frank. Oh, same. Don't feel I've seen that done Take with the bagel, pizza. Eat whatever you want and throw the rest out. You catch that, Scott? Oh, Scott is the germ freak. Oh, Scott Scott eats chicken wings with a, with a napkin. Uh, <laughs> and a skewer. They had some function this morning. I, I, I know not what, the but there was Frank, something going please. on for the real employees of the station, the ones who count. Why are we never invited to these? Things? Oh, who wants tell me, uh, tell me about Rudy Giuliani calling you on that station. You know, it was interesting. Um, and I, what can I say about Giuliani? This radio station, WABC, I'm going to walk delicately here, is so legendary because think about this: how many stations can have not one but two current people in their lineup who were both sketched? if that's a verb, on SNL. And I, mean, I think that's a badge of courage. Oh, no doubt about you know? it. And, and the people who did them aren't in the cast anymore. You know, But they did a great job. I, I thought Cecily Strong doing, uh, doing Piro, when I would hear Piro talk, I would say, oh, my God, she's doing Cecily Strong. Well, also, Kilmeade's on, on WABC. He's been satirized on Saturday Night Live as well. Who did him? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. See, honestly, I don't watch it. Uh, oh, uh, Bolin Yang. Oh, Bo and Yang? Oh, yeah. really? I can't recall that one. Yeah, uh, he's been on a few <laughs> That's times. That's great, yeah. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I In the minute uh, commercial break that we had before we came back. Not enough I, time. I, I, don't, I don't know when. You can drink <laughs> fluids, go out. I mean, there wouldn't be time if Fred Winehouse was still the GM. There would not be time for Fred to catch you and tell you how crappy your show was. I, I love it. That's why it's by design. <laughs> yeah. But um, as little time as we had, you did manage to shout down the hallway and get a Elias to make you a cup of coffee. I just learned Elias's name uh, yesterday, which is it's going great so far. But um, that was uh, that was very interesting, very bold. I would say taking a chance. I am very uh, along with being very OCD, very germaphobe. You and I are big pizza fans. You don't have to be Italian to be a big pizza fan. But there is something, and, and God gave me this talent. I wish God did not give me this talent, but. I can see everything disgusting that happens as food is being prepared. Wow. And, and this is going back long before COVID. But anyway, uh, there's something, and for lack of a better phrase, and I can't believe a respectable uh, pizzeria would do this, but I have seen this as recently as a year or so ago in New Jersey. It's called blowing the sauce. Now, you are Italian. You don't play in Italian on the radio. You really are Italian, okay? That's true. Do you know what blowing the sauce is? I, I, I don't think I do. Is that when you uh, spread it around the crust by blowing on it? Yes. Yes, I do know what that yes. is. Yes. Okay. Now, I mean, do you have to have somebody <laughs> tell you this is not sanitary? Nobody wants to have your mucus, but that's be- your breath. That's before you put it in the oven. You put it in the oven, it's 400 degrees. I don't it care. kills all the germs. I don't want my sauce blown. So I saw this some time ago when I was a kid, a little older. 
I'm in Teaneck, New Jersey. I'm not going to say where, but Teaneck, New Jersey, which has a, you know, an Italian population, a Jewish population, a Muslim population. It's a very, you know, diverse area. And there was a pizza place I was going to, I have to say, being the redneck I am. They had the Monday special, the cheese pie. These have all disappeared, by the way, since COVID. <laughs> but before COVID, you could normally find some pretty good pizzerias. And if you went there on Monday, not during football season, but an off time of the year, they were trying to push their pies. And so you could get like the uh, usual 13 $12 pie for nine something. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want it to include blowing the sauce. <laughs> so I happened to like this guy. He seemed like a nice guy, had a good personality, and then he began to blow the sauce. <sighs> and I'm thinking, geez, Louise, use a. I, I, I had to walk out. I had You're to. I just, you, I, you, you can't blow. Nobody should blow your pizza sauce to spread it when they're making your pizza. I, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm starting to side with, with Fred Winehouse. I understand what he was talking about those uh, those decades ago. Uh, you Thank allu- you, Frank. <laughs> you alluded to uh, Rush Limbaugh and uh, exactly what it was like to have him as a colleague and work in the same building as uh, as he did. You were um, you were quoted actually in the New York Times oh in an article God. about Rush Limbaugh, where you're talking to him um, about what's happening in the Florida radio market, and you told him they love you in this market. Now, right. a lot of people think of Rush, especially now, and they just view him as this larger than life figure, uh, a huge degree of confidence, huge degree of ego, huge degree of success. Jekyll and Hyde. You don't necessarily think of him as someone that needed propping up or encouragement, and then yet you were doing that. Well, I don't mean that. I I mean that he was a pussycat and somebody who, and and again, I don't want to dwell on that, but I mean, he was somebody who took the time to make other people feel good. Uh, You didn't have to have his opinion. He loved caller-based radio. He didn't do that. I mean, he'd be the first to tell you that's not my forte. That's not my strong point. He would do like, you know, not not ask Frank anything, but open phones Friday. But they really weren't very open. I mean, it was really more of what I call, he was a a monologist, if that's a word, kind of like a a preacher. And and there's a talent to doing that. We all all can be in the padded room for hours Mm -hmm. and just talk to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We can be that person walking in the street. Or you ever go into a restroom and you just start talking. All, and then the you time. realize there's somebody in the stall. <laughs> you know, it's funny. And they're not with you. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday sure. I was uh, walking le- yeah, I was walking into this building and I started doing a commentary to myself, right? Yes. And I was talking out loud. Uh, and it was a at, great bit. W- I think it was okay. Yeah. Uh, and I was walking from the car to, you know, the entrance of the building, just assuming no one's going to hear me. And then I turned the corner into the bu- building and I go smack dab in front of this person. And then I see this person's looking at me, talking loudly to myself. And right. he's thinking, I said, well, this guy doesn't look mentally deranged. Why is he so actively talking to himself? It's clear he's not on the phone with anybody. Why is he doing this? So I can absolutely, I can absolutely understand where you're coming we from. We become on that. those people, no doubt about right. that. Whether they're applying for a job on Broadway, they didn't <laughs> yeah. get it, or they're just deranged ex-radio people. It, it is our personality, speaking, and so it makes sense. Yes. Speaking of deranged, the fellow oh, that uh, often fills in for me when uh, I rarely, on the rare days that I take a day off, is Curtis Lewa. Now he was here. When you were doing your overnight show, and I understand he has played the unique role of actually being your your coat hanger. 
Well, it's a crazy story, and I have never really interacted much with Curtis, and I can't say why. We started around the same time, and I hate to say the year, but it was around 88, uh, 1888, actually, or was it 1988, <laughs> one of the 88s, and so I don't know if we were working different shifts at the time, or again, I hate to use that term, shift, shows, day parts, whatever the heck you want to call the various times of, of radio talk shows. So we didn't really have a chance to be in the building that much or talk to each other that much, never had a problem with the guy. But I was doing, uh, among, among my various fill-in uh, shows, uh, Lynn Samuels. May she mm. rest in peace. She was a character. Uh, she had uh, a midday show and also a Saturday show. And I would occasionally fill in for her on the Saturday show. So I uh, ran in one day and dropped my stuff. And it was like a little, what you call the ante room. It was not in this building. It might have been one building back, two buildings back. There have been a few of them. And so this would have been actually Penn Plaza. So I took my coat off, put it on, you know, on the couch, and I thought nothing of it. I put my coat over Curtis. <laughs> you know, he was sleeping there. So we never really had the chance to talk much. Uh, I admire him. I don't know um, what would be his situation with Mayor. At times I'll watch Eric Adam and say, what if Curtis Sliwa had become mayor. Well, I'll tell you, God is talking to Curtis a lot less than he appears to be talking to Eric Adams, that's for sure. But um, when you put your th- you threw your coat on Curtis. I wouldn't say throw my coat. I didn't know Curtis was there. Oh, no, I understand. I took off okay. my things. Yeah. You, right. <laughs> then at the end of your, your time on the station. Three hours later. Was it still on Curtis? I went back to claim my coat, and that's when I realized, oh, my God. My coat is on top of Curtis. Still, my it had been the whole time. Had, the whole time. Okay, I don't think he even got up to go to the restroom. <laughs> my coat, he was really knocked out. He must have been doing, I don't know what, a, a feral kitty rescue or a guardian angel's appearance. And, and he had a lot of things going on back at the time in the news. But I do admire Curtis, and, and Curtis is um, he's a very interesting character. And, and I'm not trying to blow smoke, but one of the things Curtis does that I like is that he is always trying to find new material. And he's looking for the humor along with the serious. And uh, I was in a miserable mood a few months ago driving on the, uh, the LIE going about uh, five miles an hour, just in total gridlock. And he was doing a bit about just some recent crime, something in the subway. And he made me feel like, and I have to tell you, I do not go on the subway. It's mm-hmm. a whole separate topic. The subway is a much better place without Freddie Merckx <laughs> because... I've always thought that when I go on the subway, and I would have to be dragged there, like with my college best friend, she would say, oh, we have to go on the subway. But uh, I just never liked it. I never liked it. And the redneck in me, I don't love to drive in the city, but my God, I'd rather drive in the city than be on that subway. I just feel like there's a sign over my head, push the guy on the tracks. (laughs) I hate to say it. I feel like I'm the guy they're going to push. And I want there to be a safe subway. There must be a safe subway. A subway that does not smell like urine, a subway that's safe where you can have street artists playing underground. It shouldn't be. And, and this whole thing about subway surfing, what the, what the heck is that? Subway surfing, what is that? But the subway needs to be a safe place. It's an essential trans, you know, transportation uh, uh, venue for people. I don't want to be on that. And I, I just, that's my decision. So, <laughs> yeah. Curtis so, so, so Curtis and the yeah, LIE. And the LIE. So, Curtis was talking about the most recent. Uh, subway violence, whatever it would have been. And there was, a, I guess, a photo op that the now uh, leaving police commissioner was doing. And I tell you, Curtis made me feel like I was right there. It was a, it was a great bit. He was basically trying to tell you. What a well, miserable this is job. recently, not 35 yeah, well, years ago. No, 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 no. This is a recent bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And I started laughing. It was like, 
This is this is oh, great. No, absolutely, this is brilliant he, stuff. He is uh, a, a a comic genius. Yeah. That is for sure. Unfortunately, a lot of that comedy is unintentional. Now, <laughs> y- you also um, worked with uh, with James Golden, who a lot of people know as a talk talent these yes. days. But w- at the time, he wasn't necessarily a talk show host. No, what, what was what was he doing when you were here? You know, you were lucky enough to have somebody across the glass, and I always find the humor in this because uh, a lot of people who would be your screener or your or, uh, I mean, here you have all these people. Like, come in. You've got somebody who uh, I don't know what they're who all doing. Who makes your coffee? That's, That's why well, he's yeah, here. Yeah, he actually tastes pretty good. I've already. I think and I've had. He's, two he's of in his line cups. for a promotion. Wait, he owes me a second cup. We ordered a second one. Where's it coming? <laughs> <laughs> you don't drink half the coffee I thought you did, by the way. <laughs> but with two minute breaks, that makes it, sense. Wait, why you don't? Exactly. You need to have a catheter. Exactly. Here. Right. But uh, but James was one of those great guys who. And again, he was not the James Golden, the Bull Snurdly. Uh, Rush Limbaugh had begun. Funny. Eighty eight was a very big year, 1988, not 1888. And so Rush Limbaugh began that year. Curtis did. James Golden did. And I, like I said, I came in the back door. I was in awe of all these people. Um, but Rush Limbaugh was not necessarily well-known nationally at the time. But his star was rising. And so he did a local show and a national show. Right. And so James was his producer. And so you can get anybody. You know, you can get anybody. And there were times you'd be on the air doing a show. And you had, you'd have somebody across the glass from you. And they were about as happy to be there as they would be to be having a colonoscopy without the full <laughs> anesthesia. I mean, they did not want that gig. They, maybe they wanted to be on the radio because at the time, WABC and WPLJ were co-owned stations. Sure. And I think most of the people who came in to be screeners or producers, they didn't want to work on WABC in that job. They wanted to be across the hall at PLJ. Right, at the FM So, so yeah, so, you, you, so they're looking at you like they're just miserable. <laughs> so you really wanted a good producer or a good screener. And so if you had James Golden... And again, he was not the famous James Golden back at the time. He just made you feel good. You know, he was great. So, so that was my memory of James oh, Golden. Well, so he gets yeah. a, firm, a solid review. Oh, no from, question. From his oh, time yeah, as yeah, a, yeah. an engineer slash screener. Paul is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Paul. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Do you remember a talk show host named Jay Marvin? Oh, Jay was great. Jay was oh, a friend. he was great. He was, he was as, almost as good as you, Freddie. Oh, Jesus. And I got you two mixed up. I couldn't remember. Uh, I couldn't remember his name, and, and uh, the name that always popped up was Freddie Mertz, and what I really meant was Jay Marvin. Well, I you tell you what. You two were very similar. Well, thank you. Hey, Jay, Jay uh, recently died. It's, it's so sad, Aww. but yeah, we worked together in Tampa. So fill folks in. I'm not familiar with Jay Marvin. Uh, who was Jay Marvin? What, what, what was his uh You know, Jay was just appeal. somebody who was very passionate, um, and I hate the labels, but I guess he would be on the, because I, I just don't like that. Uh, Jay thought for himself, but he would be on the progressive wing, if uh-huh. you will. Uh, but he also, along with the passion, he could be funny. He liked to take delves into music. So at times he would just say, hey, we have this heavy news day, but let's talk about uh, a brand new group. I recall one day he was doing a show about Blind Melon before they had that great hit and before the lead singer killed himself and lived the, the song out. Uh, what was that great song with the, with the, with the B video? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I can hear not, it in my head. Yeah. Right, exactly. So Jay was just a great talent and a very nice guy. And I'll tell you, there were times I would call Jay as a caller. Um, it, it's kind of weird, but at times, and I bet you've done this, Frank, you want to just feel, what does it feel like to be a caller? Mm-hmm. You know, and usually it's a horrible experience because you say something and then the host puts you on eternal hold and gets rid of you. I know. It, no, it, it can be frustrating. So, I J- so Jay and I had the philosophy, and I think you do as well. I always wanted to have the grit of the conversation. You know, unless they were like somebody I had to get off. They were flaming racist, homophobe, right, sure. just someone like that. But I like to actually say goodbye to them. 
And so, so at times I would call Jay just to keep in practice of what does the caller feel like when they're calling. But I really did like Jay, and just a great guy, great person. So the bulk of his career was on WFAL. Uh, <laughs> you want to make it W I foul? Yeah, I, I really that. do. Foul, right. Uh, no, he actually, that, that's where he, he made his name, and he went from there to Chicago and I believe Milwaukee and out to Denver. And I think he finished his career in Denver or stopped. I think he had some, some health issues, but just a great guy. Great guy. Uh, we're going to continue with Freddie Mertz in a moment. If you have questions, you can give us a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morato. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Feel it in your heart and feel it in your soul. Let the music take control. We're going to party, climbing, fiesta, forever. Come on and sing my song. Lionel Richie singing about what it's like to be up all night long. Uh, you're listening to a few fellas that uh, know exactly what it's like to be up all night long. Yours truly, Frank Morano, and uh, veteran radio talk show host, Freddie Mertz. We're going to take your calls in a moment, 800-848-9222. Have to ask you about uh, someone that uh, I'm a huge fan of Uh-oh. and who's a friend of mine, and I, I'm thinking your paths might have crossed 35 years ago. And that's Thank uh, you, Frank. Uh, that's Jay- but it's better than 45. <laughs> I'm driving in that- tonight, and Frank says, you know, I found somebody, some some bum, who worked here 45 Exa- years exactly, ago. Exactly. And I'm thinking, Frank, we started 35 years ago. But, <laughs> but that's yeah, uh, Jay Diamond. Uh, did you know Jay at all? You know, I never met Jay. Um, I was Fred Winehouse out of the station. I came back and did some other work uh, for John Minnelli at, at another station in town that, that had a short-lived FM format and came back to do some fill-in work on, on WABC a few times, but I never got to meet Jay. Um, so I admire his talent, but never actually, never knowingly met him. There could be people you meet at a function or that you have sure. the same function with, but I did not know Jay Diamond. Eight, nope. 800-848-9222. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Frank, great show as always. Thanks. Uh, that song for Blind uh, Melon was uh, Rain, I believe. Yes, rain. no rain go. about being depressed. You're no so rain. depressed, yeah. the sunny day will depress you, and the rainy day makes you feel better. Right? Thank you. All right. Hey, listen, uh, what I want you to say is this. Uh, other than Mr. Wolf that you have occasionally, Mr. Morano, on, uh, this gentleman, Mr. Mertz, you know, like Bob Dylan used to say, trust the voice. Uh, is that I've what he said? Yes, he did. And, and the first of all, is John Manelli, Grease Man Manelli? No. No. Aye, no. Aye, aye. <laughs> okay. Here's what I want to say. Is, uh, some way, Mr. Katsimatidis, Mr. Lopez, should somehow find a spot for this gentleman, because I'm going to tell you, excellent, excellent in every way. God bless this man. Yeah, a man I, with I, taste. I, Wait, I completely you find agree him, with you. <laughs> I completely. I was going to ask you how much you're paying you know, him. Yeah. Listen, Curtis is the fill-in. I know that. But I got to tell you something. There's so many possibilities where... Even reading a, a newsread just to get him going, or even if you were to have him more regularly, like you have Dr. Sky or somebody else, 
this gentleman has the goods. And when the goods are there, it's a very rare, it's a rarity in these days. I can tell you. Just get me uh, coffee you, and a good parking space, and I'll be all well, right. Yeah, Elias it's is here to color. get you uh, coffee all the time. Al, that's very nice Thank of you. you Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Fred, as far as you're concerned, what do you think makes being on at this time of the day, this day part? I know you don't like that term. What do you think makes (laughs) makes overnight radio so much different from the other day parts? Well, you know, the secret or not so secret reality is that, and they have this term in radio, which most people have no idea what the heck it means, kind of like, you know, affirmative action. What does that mean? Right. Uh, Cume. Cume? What the heck is Cume? C-U-M-E. And so that's the magnet that gets you to listen. It's, it's the people listening, the bring-in factor. And the truth is, the overnight show, while it's not the necessarily the, the revenue maker directly, as far as the commercials, they may cost less. But man, the audience is on for more time. They listen. And so if you're a sponsor, you're out there, and you put a commercial on this time of the night, you're going to get a phenomenal oh, yeah. response. And the other thing is, I hate to say this, there's not much going, the city is going on. But as far as the radio band with consolidation and conglomerate radio, it is a yawn. It has been just basically forgotten about. It's the whole thing about saving AM. Uh, you have these mega corporations. They own 500, 1,000, 2,000 stations. They could care less. They plug in network shows. So the overnight show is so valuable because it's the only thing around. And it just makes common sense. Put on live people. Make it entertaining. So even though it may not make the most revenue directly, it brings people in. It's a destination. Um, that leads me to my next question is there's been a lot of questions about what the future of talk radio is. A lot of questions about the future of the AM band specifically. Where do you see talk radio going going forward? Well, if you haven't got the chance to hear great talk radio, it goes right in the toilet. Right. Nobody gets to hear it. You only can put it on. It's like going to the supermarket. Mm. You want to buy something. And uh, and I'm somebody who will ask for the products I don't see. I can't buy the thing. Put it out there, for goodness sake. If you can't buy it, you can't listen to it. You can't support it. So you don't have a live local overnight show in most of the country. Now, this is a very unique situation because this station is a network unto itself. You've got a network, right? How many right. affiliates do you have? We're now? at about, a- I think, 25. Right. But the truth is, and it's great to have all those stations, but the reality is WABC has the unique uh, nuance of being a network unto itself, forgetting the internet, the signal itself. And that's the beautiful thing about, about AM. I bet when you were a kid, you put the AM band on, and what can I pick up from out of oh, town? No, I still do that. I you still know, do that. You pick I, up all I kinds love, of diseases, but yeah, but some great <laughs> shows. And so to answer you, going back a few tangents, so the, the, the magic of the, of the overnight show is just phenomenal. And, and so talk radio has a great future if you give people a good product. Uh, Freddie, on that note, we're going to have to end it there. The hour has just flown by. you got to come back soon. I'm just not going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, trust me, your coffee guy, Elias, is going to throw oh, you right man. out. It Believe is so me. great to see you in person, though. Thank, Thank you, you, Frank. you, too. Freddie Mertz, we'll have him back again soon. Uh, terrific talk talent. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can. 800-848-9222. Your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Those of you that are holding, I will make an effort to get to you as soon as we can. I know a lot of people have uh, questions about this uh, Supreme Court situation, not only the affirmative action case that came down yesterday, but what cases might be coming down today. We're going to get into some of that with Debbie Schlussel in about a half hour. In addition to discussing movies, I'm going to pick her brain on some of the legal news of the day. But first, in the immortal words of Frank Costanza, I've got a lot of problems with you people, and those include the recipients of this week's The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. I must begin by denouncing a janitor, I don't believe we have his name, a janitor at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in upstate New York. It's funny, I've had a lot of friends that have gone to this school, seems like a very good school. But a university janitor who turned off a freezer after hearing multiple, quote, annoying alarms, ruined, this is not a joke, this is not shtick, Ruined more than 20 years of research. That's according to a lawsuit that has been filed against his employer. The janitor, who is not being sued, was a contractor with Daigle Cleaning Systems, who worked for several months in 2020 at the private research university in Troy. The school is seeking more than a million dollars in damages and legal fees from Daigle Cleaning Systems as a result of this incident. Apparently... The lab's freezer contained over 20 years of research, including cell cultures and samples, to which a small temperature fluctuation of three degrees would cause catastrophic damage. That's according to a lawsuit filed in the Rensselaer County Supreme Court. The college does not believe that the janitor is at fault, but instead blames Daigle Cleaning Systems for failing to properly train and supervise him. Well, This is not a legally binding finding, but in my case, I am finding the janitor at least a little bit at fault, which is why, to this unnamed RPI janitor, I must say, I do denounce you. I must also denounce people who fire off fireworks at night before 4th of July. Guys, I... I'm not crazy about fireworks to begin with, but I recognize that's what you do on the 4th of July. It's what, what's that, what happens. There, there are cats and dogs that spend six months trying to recover from the shell shock of, of the 4th of July. I have to tell you, having a son that goes to sleep at 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, to come 8.30, 10 o'clock, hear these incredibly loud explosions that sound like I'm in Fallujah, not only causing my cats who were dealing with their own health issues to crawl under a couch and be frightened, but also to wake up my my toddler son. I just don't understand the appeal. What in the world is so satisfying about blowing? And that's just one house. That's just the people disturbed in my house. You not only have my son, my cats, you have my wife who now is not going to be able to sleep because she's got to take care of my son who and, and work to get him back to sleep. Who are these people that are so selfish in their brazen desire to blow things up that they 
show no regard for their neighbors. So if you are someone that sets off fireworks before 4th of July, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Scott Rowan. Scott Rowan is a man who claimed that he was attacked and burned during an alleged hate crime. And now he's accused of assaulting a pregnant woman. This man, who is gay, but that has nothing to do with it, he claimed that he was set on fire in a targeted attack. However, according to an update published on Wednesday, investigators investigators are now saying they received a 911 call that same night of a man attacking a pregnant woman. He wasn't set on fire. This woman that he attacked was bleeding and had several injuries. An hour later, officers received a report of a man claiming he'd been set on fire. Officers determined the man with the burn injuries was the suspect in the attack on the pregnant woman. Then they said she retaliated using fire as a weapon on him. So he attacks a pregnant woman. The pregnant woman tries to defend herself with fire. And this guy claims he's set on fire in an anti-gay hate crime. I mean, this is just despicable. So, Mr. Rowan, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the Quad City Times. This is a newspaper that published a cartoon. And you look at this cartoon, and I think it can only be described as hateful and bigoted. So they put in this cartoon depicting the Republican candidate for president, Vivek Ramaswamy, um, greeting a group of Trump supporters who shout racist things at him. And if you look at it, it's incredibly, I mean, it's just inexcusable that any newspaper would publish a cartoon that looks like this. I mean, it's just, it's the kind of thing that you might expect to be seeing in 1861 Mississippi. It's just disgusting. And yet they put this in an Iowa newspaper. So the newspaper, to their credit, has apologized. They've issued a retraction. But I don't think that in any way excuses them for running a bigoted cartoon like this in the first place. This is a painful one. A painful one. But I must denounce seltzer. Seltzer and sparkling water, which I am a big fan of. I drink all the time, but I got news for you. I'm not drinking it anymore. My days of drinking sparkling water are over, even though my favorite is bubbly. I love bubbly. We have bubbly in our house all the time. I like the grapefruit flavor. I like uh, the black cherry. I like the a bunch of different flavors. It's great. But while carbonated water is often celebrated as a low-sugar alternative to soda, what people forget about is that it's still acidic, which means that it can harm your tooth enamel. And an article out this week in Axios showing that the acidity level in seltzer is really bad for your teeth. So water, for instance, has a neutral pH of about 7. Seltzer's acidic pH can be around 4 or lower, which studies suggest can erode tooth enamel. So if left untouched... In a pH of about 4.6 for a few hours, a tooth 
will form a tiny lesion. And I'll tell you, lemon juice has a pH of about 2. Coca-Cola's pH is below 3. And black coffee's pH is around 5. So um, it looks like seltzer is not great for your teeth. They say if you're going to have seltzers, don't swish it around in your teeth, which is one of the things that I like to do occasionally. But if you're going to have seltzer, in between seltzers, sort of rinse your mouth out with water so you get some of the seltzer and the acidity of the seltzer off of your teeth so it takes a break from eroding your tooth enamel. I must announce Rhode Island State Senator Joshua Miller. Joshua Miller has been arrested because Joshua Miller thought it was a good idea to key someone else's car. Why? Apparently that car had a bumper sticker on it that said, Biden sucks. So this Rhode Island state senator, this guy is a real jabroni, was arrested after vandalizing a car that had a Biden sucks bumper sticker. He claimed he was dared to do it. Never a good defense. Never a good defense. Um... I don't know what you're doing as a state senator if you can't be respectful enough of other people's views that you have to vandalize a car that says Biden sucks. So, State Senator Joshua Miller, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Erica Goldstein, found guilty this week of supplying school lunches to children in New York with tainted food including actually serving chicken to school children with little bits of metal in it. This is disgusting. And uh, this guy would also bribe officials that were in charge of determining who got the contract for school lunches. So, Eric Goldstein, I do denounce you. I must also denounce 1-800-Flowers. My friend Danielle, who I've talked about before, she's been through a lot. She gave a co-worker of hers a kidney. Uh, she's married to my friend Rich. Great, great lady, great woman, close friend. She, this week, had her gallbladder removed, and that's a very painful procedure. She told me, actually, that the pain that she's experiencing this week after having her gallbladder removed is worse than when she had the surgery to remove her kidney and worse than when she had a C-section when she had a a, a child and she's in a lot of pain. So my wife thought she's going to do a good deed. She said, all right, well, I'm going to get Danielle some flowers. So she uses 1-800-Flowers. They were supposed to arrive Monday, Monday, or no, excuse me, Tuesday. It's now Friday. They charged me for these flowers. They never arrived, never arrived. So we're asking for a refund, uh, but poor Danielle is the loser in that she has no flowers. So 1-800-Flowers, I do denounce you and will never recommend you. I must also denounce Oak Park and River Forest High School in Illinois. They have changed every student's password in their Google account for the school's online system. They have changed every student's password to change me, exclamation point, but instead of an A, there's an at sign. All 3,000 students have the same password as a result of a computer glitch. 
I'm not an expert in cybersecurity, but this doesn't strike me as a safe way to safeguard people's data. And then finally, once again, I must denounce the state of Rhode Island. Wallet Hub is out with their ranking of the best and worst states for summer road trips. And some states did very well. Texas, number one. New York, number two. North Carolina, number three. Ohio, number four. Even Idaho, number five. Dead last in the entire country on 32 different metrics to find the most fun, scenic, and wallet-friendly road trip destinations is the state of Rhode Island. Rhode Island, I do denounce you. Uh, That concludes this edition of Denunciations. In just a moment, we are going to talk with Debbie Schlussel, get her take on what movies might be worth seeing, also get her take on the Supreme Court case. But first, uh, original Rick in original Jersey has been uh, patiently holding. Rick, what's on your mind? Frank, good morning. Morning. Uh, about the saucer blowing, I never heard about this. This is this is disgusting, Nick. Is this prevalent? I, I think it's the norm, yes. Oh, my God. You know, that's as disgusting as tasting, you know, uh, the sauce with a spoon and putting the spoon back in the sauce. Now you've infected the whole sauce. I mean, I had a favorite diner I used to eat at, and I stopped eating there because... The cook, this is back when you could, but the cook would smoke cigarettes while he was cooking, you know, in his mouth, in his fingers while he's flipping my eggs. Well, that's a little gross. That's a little gross. Well, well, so is the sauce blowing. Oh, my God. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I I don't think that it is because the heat in the oven when the pizza pie goes in the oven is so hot, it's going to kill any germs. But it's still, your boogers are still in there. I mean, you know, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. The, The cooties are still there. I just, I don't know. I, I, you're, you're, it's like blowing on cakes. I won't eat a cake now if you have candles on it and everybody blows it. That 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 should go away. That that uh, tradition, you know. So you should. We should come up with a better tradition than everybody blowing on the cake. Yeah, I don't know, Rick. I, I think um, in both cases, I think you know you got to live your life. I don't think living your life trying to stay away from every possible germ is a sound way to be. You know, you got to get exposure to germs once in a while. Let your immune system do its job and see what happens. Robert is in Pearl River. Hello, Robert. Hey, Frank. How are you doing? Um, it was about the, uh, I think the decision was a good decision with the affirmative action. I mean, it's been going on for a long time. I don't think it has helped tremendously uh, the, the groups. I think it's fighting racism with racism. I was a victim of it. Uh, years ago when I was in college, I still got accepted to a law school. I still uh, was able to do pretty well in my careers and uh, work. So I don't think, I think it's, uh, I think it's a problem. The Asian people that, uh, you know, that um, did not get accepted, uh, a very one particular person, a very high uh, SAT score. It's really, it's, it's basically, in my opinion, it's very bad. If they're going to do it, both should get in, and they should build the colleges bigger. It's wrong, like the original decision back first California, uh, when they let them both in. But to discriminate one, to fight racism, racism is 
it's pretty evil in my opinion, you know. So Yeah, I mean, look, thank you, Robert. I uh, I tend to agree with you, right? I mean, I think, uh, look, Alan Dershowitz commented on this subject on the Katz and Cosby show, and I, I think he did a pretty good job explaining basically where I come down on this issue. And Alan, Alan Dershowitz is somebody that's been a longtime uh, activist on behalf of minorities and a a guy that was at a the Martin Luther King Jr. march on Washington and a guy that has frequently stood up for the the downtrodden here was Alan Dershowitz on with John Katzmatidis uh last night it's monumental it finally restores the legacy of Martin Luther King i was there in august of 1973 63 on the mall, when I heard Martin Luther King utter the following words, I have a dream that my children will someday be judged by the quality of their character, not by the color of their skin. And the Supreme Court today, for the first time, validated Martin Luther King's dream. He said to Martin Luther King, your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, if they apply to Harvard University in North Carolina, they will be judged by their grades, by their recommendations, by their test scores, but not by the accident of race or religion or gender or any of these other factors. It's a great day for America. I completely agree with him. And I'll tell you, you know, you can't, I, I, my, somebody, I was talking, to, I think it was my wife, but I don't want to misquote her if it wasn't her. And we were talking about the conversation about whether a president should have to be born in this country or not. And my view is you should not be. If um, I think if you're a citizen of this country and a legal resident for 35 years or more, you should be able to run for president. And I think it was my wife, but I don't want to misquote her. This person said to me, you really can't help where you're born. And that's the way I feel about race. I don't think um, it's fair to discriminate against someone who's Asian or white because they happen to be Asian or white. I think everybody should be viewed and judged on the same standard. That's my take on it. We'll ask Debbie Schlossel about it, and we'll talk movies in uh, just a bit. You want to comment, you can, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Debbie Debbie from Gary Wilson. This is the other side of midnight. Very lucky uh, to be able to join by be joined by one of my favorite Debbies. Once again, attorney, author, political commentator and film critic, the one and only Debbie Schlussel. Hello, Debbie. Hi. Good morning. Good morning, Debbie. uh, Here we, we are seeing the 
Canadian wildfire smoke uh, set all sorts of records and uh, really caused all sorts of problems for people in the Northeast and then in the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, people in Ohio have been complaining about it. I know you're in Michigan. What have you seen up there with this wildfire smoke? Well, on the list of the worst air in the world, Detroit is number two. And last week, there was a day where we were number one. Um, and all the sky is very hazy. You can't see buildings so well that are in the distance and so on. It's really weird. I've never had anything like this before. Um, and I've lived here my entire life. And and the reason the air is so bad is all because of this wildfire smoke? Yes. And that's what I don't understand is why Detroit, of all the places that are south of Canada, um, I understand that it's, I think, um, Nova Scotia where some of the fires are. But still, why not northern New York? Why not northern Wisconsin? I know Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin has the haze as well, but it's not. The air in Detroit is the Detroit is the city with the air with the least quality, second least quality in the world. Do you think that uh, this might be the Canadians' attempt to target you? Uh, very funny, but you know what? There is that song, "Blame Canada." Exactly. All right. Uh, well, good luck. So, what do you do when it's that smoky? I guess you stay indoors, do legal work, and catch up on movies. Yeah, the, the same as I always do. All right, okay, well, good. I'm glad it's not causing too much of a uh, a lifestyle disruption. I want to ask you about movies, but I want to pick your brain on a few legal issues. Uh, a lot of people are very interested in this affirmative action case by the Supreme Court. Give me your take on what the court decided yesterday. Well, I've always been interested in this issue. I have been a victim of affirmative action, which is a nice word for racism. And, uh, you know, I was glad that the Supreme Court finally, after almost 50 years of cases on this, um, beginning with, I believe, the first one was the Backey case, that the Supreme Court finally has said that race cannot be a factor. So I was really glad to see that. However, unfortunately, because this has been going on for so long, this is still going to happen. Um, I was the general counsel of the Michigan Civil Rights Initiative, which was Ward Connerly's ballot initiative in Michigan to get rid to disallow race in affirmative action um, in admissions and hiring at state institutions. And what the University of Michigan did was um, where they made race such an important factor that it was the deciding factor. Now what they do is they have essays and other ways that people know where they can communicate their race and they can communicate certain things that basically they will still get affirmative action. And if you look at the decision, the Roberts decision from uh, yesterday, Justice Roberts did say at one point in his decision that um, the experience of a life experience of a person with racism. So in other words, if they are the victim of racism, can be a factor in admitting somebody. So basically, they're still kind of hedging their bets. Um, I don't like that at all. Race should be absolutely, absolutely outlawed as a factor. And I, and it 
shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be the factor. It shouldn't be a factor. That's racism. It should not be allowed at all. And your experience with racism, to me, where it says that in the decision, if that can be a factor, to me, then race is a factor. I don't like that at all because, again, that's what universities and institutions use to try and get around a ban. Um, And you can bet that they will do it here. Also, the decision only applies to college admissions. Mm. Um, And so it does not apply to promotions and hiring. It does not apply to um, uh, other other factors like jobs, um, seeking. Sometimes you have companies that will only list certain job openings to minorities or in minority communities and so on. That's racist. If they only did that to white people and in white communities, that would be racist. So it's racist. Those kinds of things were not outlawed. And so I would like to see a total ban of all of that. We should be a merit-based society. Listen, diversity, inclusion, and equity is it spells out the acronym DIE, and that's why they changed Mm. it to D-E-I. When you have a society that focuses on race rather than merit, rather than legitimate qualifications, you have a society that's mediocre and that will eventually die out. Societies that last are the ones that reward innovation, talent, and anything other than skin color, gender, and ethnicity. Affirmative action, by definition, is racist, sexist, and bigoted towards certain ethnicities. That's racism that's illegal, and it should be illegal in every single way. So uh, we will see. Debbie, I uh, completely agree with you. I think uh, affirmative action is awful, and I, I agree with you legally, politically, ethically, morally, uh, on everything that you said. But uh, just to play devil's advocate, some people may say, look, uh, why shouldn't a college, if it wants to, be able to take um, racial quotas or affirmative action into account when it determines what it wants its student body to look like? Why shouldn't DSU, Debbie Schlussel University, be able to decide we want 20% Asians when we look at admissions? Who is the government to tell them that this is prohibited? What do you say to that argument? Well, let's say I have a store and I only want like 1% black customers and I tell them, I'm sorry, I've reached my quota of black customers. I don't want my store to be known as a black establishment. So I'm sorry, black people, you can't come in. I can't serve you. I refuse to serve you. Not only is that racist, but anybody that did that would be prosecuted by the Justice Department Civil Rights Division. So that's basically what they are saying and doing. You know, part of this um, lawsuit was the the Asian component at Harvard because a group of Asian students sued Harvard. Now, why did they do that? Because Asians were being kept out of Harvard who had perfect SAT scores, had 4.0s or higher, um, had lots of activities on their resume, outstanding, outstanding resumes. 
in favor of people who were the right skin pigment. And they found that if you were black and you applied to Harvard, you had 85 times better chance of getting in than if you were Asian. Would that be the case? That's ridiculous. Uh, At the University of Michigan, before we had the Michigan Civil Rights Initiative, which was supposed to do also what the Supreme Court decision yesterday is supposed to do, if you had a perfect SAT score, you were given two to three points on a point admission system, just two to three points for a perfect SAT score. If you were black, you got 18 to 20 points. Should your skin color be worth that? Like about no, six of course not. Of course not. Six times as much? It should not. That's outrageous. It's racism. And you know what? If we want to go to a complete free market with the way you're suggesting where a college can decide, well, I need to have this amount of this kind of student, then let's have a free for all for everybody. And what you're going to see is a lot of racist establishments and just throw the whole civil rights act out the window. Is that right? No, we should just be a a truly colorblind society where merit and talent and your own hard work get you where you want to go. That's the way it should be. It is unfair when a point system gives somebody six times as many points for just because of the luck of the draw of how they were born, right? what skin pigment, pigment they were born with, as somebody who has a perfect SAT score that's outrageous. And it shouldn't be... Wait, wait, you had a some- perfect SAT score? I did not. Oh, okay. But I, gotcha. I okay. can tell you this. I had, a, I had a very high SAT score, and I was a National Merit Scholar finalist. I also, and by the way, there was a woman in my high school. I went to a majority black high school. There was a woman in my high school who had far lower grades and test scores than I did, and she did become a National Merit Scholar. If I had been black, I would have been one, too. I was just a finalist. Which still was a good achievement, but, you know, if you actually are a National Merit Scholar, you get a lot of scholarships. You get a lot. It's it's a cash. It's got tremendous cachet in admissions and, and in terms of funds for college. Um, I was a National Merit Scholar finalist. I took several languages. I had very high scores on all the standardized tests. We are in a country now where many of the elite universities no longer look at your test scores. They no longer consider it. Why? Because if they did consider test scores, then they would not be able to practice this racism. Um, And unfortunately, they want to be able to practice that. It's totally unfair. And by the way, if they want diversity, why don't they have diversity of thought? Oh, Why don't they value conservatives? I completely agree, uh, Debbie. What was your SAT score, by the way? Well, it was fourteen ninety. Wow! And I think that's that's pretty high. Absolutely. My ACT score was thirty four out of thirty six. You took both the so, ACT and the SAT. Yes. Okay. I mean, usually you take one or the other, but uh, leave it to Debbie. Debbie. Uh, Debbie. You know, you always go above and beyond. I want to pick your brain on one or two other legal issues. Uh, I, I'm always interested because the Supreme Court is always so polarized and you get these decisions where the left-wing justices are on one side, the right-wing justices are on another, and it seems like a lot of these justices, while they're all very smart people, they don't necessarily agree on anything. 
And I'm always interested in the unanimous cases. And there was one unanimous decision yesterday where the Supreme Court made it easier for employees to win religious accommodations at work, siding with a Christian mail carrier who wanted to remain off on Sundays so he could attend church and honor the Sabbath. Case of Gerald Groff of Pennsylvania. We're heard in Pennsylvania right now. Uh, who knows? Maybe he's listening right now. I have a feeling you saw with the unanimous Supreme Court on this one, Debbie? Well, yes and no. You know, I was very, very interested in this case because I keep the Jewish Sabbath. So he was a Sunday Sabbath guy. I'm a Friday night till Saturday night uh, Sabbath person for Jews. And I have lost out on opportunities and jobs because I told them I could not work on Saturday. And if I were a person that was more cunning, I would never have told them that. I would have just done the interview. And then once I get the job and then they said, oh, no, no, you have to work on Saturday or we're going to have to withdraw the job, then I could have sued them and maybe I would have won. But under the previous standard, I probably would not have won because the standard was not reasonable accommodations. It was a de minimis standard where they really didn't have to do much to accommodate such a person. Um, and this man, who Mr. Groff, who su- sued, was a U.S. Postal uh, Service employee, and he could he did not want to work on Sunday because it was his Sabbath. And being a very devout Christian, he was an evangelical, um, and he was willing to work, you know, much harder on the rest of the week to, on the rest of the week and make up for the time, and that was not good enough for for them. They did not want to accommodate him even in the least because of this de minimis standard, meaning they only had to minimally try to accommodate. Now that standard has changed um, and they're going to have to do more to accommodate him. I, I do like that. On the other hand, I was always taught by my parents, you know, we are religious Sabbath observant Jews. Sometimes you, you know, for your religion, you have to sacrifice if you lose out on jobs, you lose out on certain things, that's because of the religious choices you made. And the whole world shouldn't have to accommodate you. We don't want the world to have to give you special favors to accommodate you. That's part of the religion. You made these sacrifices. So uh, I I kind of am of a mixed opinion on that. I've never, I, I have lost out on things, as I said earlier, but I've never made anyone really accommodate me except. I've had a couple of occasions recently where a court wanted me to appear on on uh, the first day of Passover, and I had to go through a whole mess to get them to accommodate wow. me, which I was surprised. So I do agree with that decision to some extent. Now, I did want to just say one other thing about the affirmative action case, because this is something that I, I am so interested in, and I think it affects a lot of people. If you're interested in diversity, if a, an institution is interested in diversity, why is it based solely on skin color? Because what happens at Harvard and a lot of these universities, these elite universities, is they end up admitting the, the top of the top in terms of income, black Americans who came from very wealthy households. And so they do lose out on diversity because a black guy in a polo shirt who comes from a mansion, really in many cases is the same as a white guy in a polo shirt who comes from a mansion. Whereas there's a white guy from a disadvantaged family in Appalachia or northern Michigan or somewhere in rural Wisconsin 
And they're poor. They faced adversity. But because they were born white, somehow their point of view is, is not part of the diversity that counts. So to me, it's about um, sort of like what George Orwell said in Animal Farm. All of the animals in the barnyard are equal, but some are more equal than <laughs> others. They're really not interested in diversity. And I lost out when I applied to the Georgetown School of Foreign Service. The person who did the interviews um, told me because he happened to know my mother. And later on, he wrote a letter to Georgetown and got kicked off their alumni committee because of this. He told me he rated me a five, which was the highest score, or I'm sorry, a nine, which was the highest score he'd ever given. He told me that the person that got the spot at Georgetown School of Foreign Service over me was a woman from a family of very wealthy black executives at Ford Motor Company. She went to a very fancy, expensive school. I went to public school. She had a a grade point that was in the 2.0 range. And I had a much higher grade point average. Um, I was a 3.9. She didn't had very few extracurricular activities. I had many. Um, she did terrible on the standardized tests, and I had very high scores. So it was solely based on skin pigment. Right. And she was from a wealthy, much wealthier family than I was. It was totally unfair. It's discrimination, period. Uh, Debbie, one other legal issue I want to ask you. Well, actually, one other Supreme Court issue and then one brief legal issue. The U.S. Supreme Court has also left in place a lower court decision ruling that a North Carolina school cannot require its female students to wear skirts. If people haven't been following this case, I think it was a very interesting one. A federal court found last year that this school had violated the constitutional rights of its female pupils with its uniform rules. The Charter Day School appealed against the ruling all the way to the Supreme Court and the justices declined to hear the appeal. So as of now, schools cannot require girls to wear a skirt. Right decision, wrong decision. What do you think? So when you said, why can't a school set its own? Uh, ethnic uh, ratios and quotas, that's different than, in my opinion, than requiring women to wear skirts. I think a lot of schools do have uniforms where they require women to wear skirts. Sometimes it's for religious reasons. I went to Jewish day schools where the women had to wear skirts out of religious views and beliefs. Other schools, I know that the University of Michigan Dental School used to require women who are studying to become dental hygienists to wear a certain uniform that some might have considered sexist. I don't know. To me, a uniform is a lot different than, oh, you're born uh, with a black skin complexion and you're born with a white skin complexion. I'm going to give the person who's black an extra leg up because just because I've decided I want to in the name of diversity, I think requiring women to wear skirts is, is to me something that they should be allowed to do. I know that some people might think that's very old fashioned. I myself, you know, you prefer, especially if it's in the winter, maybe to wear pants or to wear leggings or something like that. In other, you know, in the summer, I prefer to wear skirts. Uh, sometimes women want to wear one or the other out of comfort. 
And that might seem old fashioned to say, hey, you have to wear skirts. But to me, that's more of a that is more of a free market issue. And I do think the government should stay out of something like that. If you don't like the skirt requirement, go somewhere else. That's not the same as race or gender or, um, you know, uh, disability or something like that. That's a lot different. And um, the last legal issue I want to get your take on is this lawsuit that Donald Trump is bringing against E. Jean Carroll. Obviously, E. Jean Carroll had sued Donald Trump for defamation, and she alleged that uh, he had raped her. And the jury found, this jury of six men, three women, found that uh, Trump did defame her, but that he did not rape her, as she had long claimed. Now Trump is countersuing. How do you think this case is going to go? We've seen with Trump, sometimes he likes to file lawsuits just for publicity or to maintain the moral high ground. Other times, they become very substantive legal issues. Which category does this fall in? Well, you know, when we discussed this previously, I said that I was very opposed to the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit because it was about something that happened many years ago. And she had a loophole in the law where they reopened it that people could sue over alleged sexual assault from years earlier. And suddenly she came forward where she had never mentioned it before. I don't like that at all. And so I think what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And so, you know, I'm glad Trump is suing her. Um, and, but unfortunately, he's got a New York audience that's going to be seated in the jury panel, especially a New York City audience. And that's why he lost the lawsuit in the first place or a big reason. I think he also probably should have shown up to court and mounted a better defense and taken it more seriously. Um, on the other hand, with a New York jury, I think they're against him. They're very liberal. And so he probably would lose his suit. But I am glad that he's turning around uh, E.G. Carroll's methods here and making her face the same music that she made him face. I think that that lawsuit, as well as the one about paying off the Playboy Playmates, are the two most ridiculous, baseless uh, forms of litigation that he has been facing of late. All right, uh, let's talk movies. Uh, to putting aside all this legal stuff, uh, the only new movie that's gotten a lot of attention that uh, that's coming out this weekend seems to be the new Indiana Jones film. I'm a fan of the Indiana Jones franchise, and I'm amazed that Harrison Ford uh, looks as great as he does at 80 years old. How is this new Indiana Jones film? So it's better than I expected, but I still didn't. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. Um, it lacks the magic of the, I would say, first, at least first and maybe second and third Indiana Jones movies. I hated the last movie where <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg was trying to uh, groom Shia LaBeouf. I right. think this was in 2008 to become the next Indiana Jones, and that didn't work out too well. Um, my fav- One of my favorite movies of all time is the... Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, the very first one. The scene with the Nazis melting is probably one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. There's nothing as great and as fulfilling in this new movie. That said, the beginning scene goes back in time during World War II. They do use the weird CGI. It is a little strange, but still not bad. 
um, where they de-age Harrison Ford for the beginning scene and several of the scenes of the movie. It is a little herky-jerky. There are flashbacks. The movie is over two and a half hours long, so it's way over stuff. It's too long. It's a little slow. Um, they could have sped it up and cut a lot out of it. Um, I'm not sure I really liked the story. He does look great for 80. You know, to me, he looks like a very good, well-preserved 60, I mean, 70. Um, there is a a very interesting cameo with somebody else who's very well-preserved at the very end. Um, Antonio Banderas is also in it, and you could barely recognize him, and mm. you think, is that him? Is that not him? Um, it was okay. Um, I would say don't drink a lot of liquids beforehand <laughs> because there's no intermission, um, and it is very long. Um, but again, it lacked the magic. It was a little a bit of a cockamamie wild goose chase that the other ones I thought were a lot more fulfilling and more entertaining. And I just think there was no reason to make this with the 80-year-old. It takes place right after the moon landing and during the Vietnam War. And we find a much older Indiana Jones divorced and his son died serving in Vietnam. And I thought to myself, if I think of all these people I've seen in the movies in the 80s, do I want to see them when they're much older, divorced, bitter, retiring, and their child, their only child died in a war? Would we want to see that about Superman? Mm. Would we want to see that? I, I just don't know that I would want to see that. Uh, all that being said, with all its shortcomings, it sounds like if someone's a fan of the franchise and they really like Indiana Jones and they really like uh, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, that it might be worth checking out, especially if you're hiding from the smoke this weekend. I agree. I just think an 80-year-old guy doing a lot of the stunts and a lot of the a lot of the, and I know he was stuntman and all that, but I'm just saying it's just not believable, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff. But then a lot of the stuff in the first few movies wasn't believable either. Right. I just think there's stuff in here that's like, uh, you know, um, science fiction and weird. It's not the original, that's for sure. But yes, you you might like it if you're a longtime Indiana Jones fan as I am. Debbie, it is always a treat to talk with you. Uh, Thanks for getting up early for us, as always. I hope you have a great Independence Day weekend. You doing anything fun this weekend? Um, No, just relaxing and trying to de-stress, taking it easy. That, to me, is fun, trying to enjoy the outdoor weather once the air maybe hopefully cleans up a little bit. When, When are you coming to New York and paying us a visit in studio, Debbie? I'm not sure, but I will try and make it sooner rather than Absolutely. later. Absolutely. We hope so. All right. Happy Independence Day, Debbie. Appreciate the time. All right. There you have it. Indiana Jones. It sounds like to me, if you're going to sum up Debbie's review, and this is similar to other reviews that I've heard of it, it's worth seeing, but you have to go in with low expectations. That's what it sounds like to me. I still want to see it. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we have covered thus far. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
Green. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. If you are staying indoors this weekend to hide out from the smoke, I hope you'll use the opportunity to catch up on any of your podcasts, any of our podcasts that you might have missed. You want to make sure you listen to The Other Side of Midnight podcast. If you don't want to listen to the whole show, you can just uh, listen to the interviews and the highlights. Just search in any podcast app, any either Frank Morano interviews and more. That's the highlights and the interviews or um, the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Hit the subscribe button. You'll get the program downloaded to your phone every day. Then you also want to listen to the darker side of midnight. It's not for everybody, but a lot of people really like it. That's the podcast that uh, Kenneth and Matt do where it's sort of a post-show review of everything that we do on this program. Hey, I want to wish a happy 85th birthday uh, to my friend Lou Idala. They call him Padre Lou. He is the father of uh, the great Arthur Idala. I saw him at his birthday party yesterday. Looks great for 85. Looks great for any age. He has a handlebar mustache that is not age. It was great to see Geraldo as well. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Frank. And thank goodness we may be entering into a new era where maybe it's a little harder to spy on you. Well, don't get excited yet. Don't count your civil liberties before they're given back to you just yet. Headline, depending on your perspective, is either no snoop for you or snoop no more. There was a great article, well, a series of very good articles, but the one that I read um, last week was in, or this week, was in Semaphore. And efforts to, well, let me give you the context here, the background. After September 11th, the government used this as an opportunity to pass legislation to spy on everybody uh, without a warrant, uh, wireless, not wireless. I mean, you name a way that the government can spy on you and they are spying on you. And now efforts to reauthorize a, what the government says is a key tool that allows the government to surveil foreign suspects faces a very difficult road ahead 
as lawmakers from both parties raise concerns about implications for Americans. I have to tell you, I love this because my favorite political issues to talk about or my favorite ideological issues to um, to talk about are issues where the left and the right agree. And one of my favorite books was written about 13 years ago. It's uh, by Ralph Nader. It's, for, it's called Unstoppable, the emerging left-right alliance to dismantle the corporate state. And one of the issues where the people on the left and the right agree is is civil liberties and not spying on people, especially without a warrant. So many Americans have been suspicious of this program. It's Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA. Many Democrats have been suspicious of it since the Bush era because of civil liberties grounds. Now, some Republicans have raised similar concerns in the past and are now citing botched surveillance applications in the Trump-Russia investigation that don't deal directly with this 702 statute. Congressman Troy Nels of Texas, a Republican, said at last Wednesday's hearing with uh, special counsel John Durham, for instance, it's my intent and I hope the intent of my colleagues that we do not reauthorize Section 702 because the FBI cannot be trusted. Ladies and gentlemen, is this the one issue that everybody can agree on? The FBI can absolutely positively be not be trusted. It was a week ago today at this very hour. I told you how the FBI didn't catch a terrorist. The FBI created a terrorist out of a teenage kid. And now that guy, that young man is in jail. And uh, I love this growing skepticism about the FBI and the powers that it should have. And this growing skepticism could create an unlikely bipartisan alliance to reform the post-9-11 program, Section 702, or kill it altogether. Lawmakers must reauthorize it by the end of the year before the law sunsets. Congressman Jim Himes, Democrat, Connecticut, I think it's a very heavy lift. This is the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee. It was always going to be hard, and it's gotten harder. Congressman Himes pointed to a finding by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court recently made public that the FBI improperly queried a database established under 702. How many times? How many times do you think the FBI did something that they were not supposed to do? This database created under Section 02. How many times do you think the FBI accessed it improperly? Once? Twice? Ten times? A hundred times? Five hundred times? A thousand times? How many times is too many before the FBI needs to get a brushback pitch and get an idea that uh, maybe they shouldn't be spying on all of us? 278,000 times over the course of several years. That revelation has spurred outrage among lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. These searches include improper 
queries in the course of investigations into both the January 6th Capitol riot, which Republicans don't like, and the protests following the police killing of George Floyd, which a lot of Democrats don't like. So the FBI has one thing in common with, I mean, uh, left-wingers and right-wingers who are active in protests and riots and demonstrations, they have one thing in common, at least. The FBI is spying on you, and they are breaking the law in order to do it. Uh, Dick Durbin, Democrat, Illinois, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman. I will only support the reauthorization of Section 02 if there are significant, significant reforms. That's what he said at a hearing this month. He said the reforms would need to impose new safeguards to prevent future abuses and allow better oversight by Congress and the court. Now, I hope Section 02 is not reauthorized. If it is reauthorized, I think there really need to be a significant number of changes in order to get there. I know the security state and the establishment and people in both parties that love the FBI being able to spy on people and a lot of legitimate law enforcement people. I don't want to make it sound like it's only protesters and and left-wingers and right-wingers that don't like this. There's a lot of um, law enforcement people that say this is an effective tool for catching bad guys. They say it's a critical tool, actually, according to a lot of national security officials. They say it aids everything from counterterrorism operations to cybercrime investigations. But the warrantless surveillance program for foreign targets has long raised concerns about privacy and civil liberties because it results in the government's the government incidentally scooping up information on America. And reauthorizing it back in 2018 was a huge lift that ended up splitting both parties. It got past a Senate filibuster just barely with exactly 60 votes. So now you have this bipartisan working group of members of the House Intelligence Committee. They're reviewing potential reforms to both FISA and Section 702. We'll see where this goes, uh, but you have some privacy-minded senators, people like Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, uh, people like Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, who are trying to make some reforms of their own. So this issue has created an uh, an unlikely alliance among the left and the right, and the issues motivating members of both parties are not the same which could mean they have more difficulty coming to an agreement on what needs to be changed. So we'll see where it goes, but uh, I am glad we are seeing at least a little bit of hope that we may be getting some of our civil liberties under the Bill of Rights back. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, In other news, and I've talked about this before, I've bored people with this, I'm sure, but I have to talk about this. You know, we're learning more about the case of this uh, Brian Koberger, who stands accused of killing uh, several University of Idaho students. He was first identified as as a suspect using a relatively new forensic technique called investigative genetic genealogy. That's according to recent court filings. Prosecutors have asked the court, in his case, to seal information to their search. Any idea 
what investigative genetic genealogy is. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone know the effects? Genetic genealogy has proven essential in solving previously uncrackable cases. So it's valuable. But because it repurposes commercial and public DNA databases, which police often use in ways that are equally accessible to members of the general public, it also exposes tremendous risks to privacy. Those risks need to be reckoned with and pronto so that the use of investigative genetic genealogy can be preserved without continuing to place the privacy of the general public at risk. Because, make no mistake, right now, your genetic privacy is at serious risk. So what is, what is this practice? Genetic genealogy uses crime scene DNA in a very new way. Previously, DNA was used like fingerprints. Police would identify a suspect using traditional investigative means, canvas the neighborhood, question witnesses, then collect a sample from the suspect. If it matched the DNA at the crime scene, it was good evidence that they had found the perpetrator. Really solid police work. Well, genetic genealogy works the other way around. Police start with a DNA sample from the crime scene, and then they enter it into a public or commercial database like GED Match, where people have voluntarily submitted their DNA, usually for genealogical purposes. Uh, websites like um, MyHeritage, websites like, uh, oh, you know, uh, 23andMe. These DNA testing websites, Ancestry.com, that allows police to find a relative of the perpetrator. Then they build that relative's family tree. That family tree becomes a list of potential suspects. And the promise of genetic genealogy for solving crimes is hard to overstate. It has helped solve several murders over the last few years, including they even identified the body of a bootlegger who was slain uh, around 1914 and buried in a cave. According to some estimates, over 500 cases had been solved nationwide using this new technique. That means hundreds of families have answers that they have looked for. In some cases, for decades, hundreds of victims have obtained some measure of justice and society is safer for having hundreds of murderers and rapists off the street. And look, we've talked about some of the more famous cases solved by genetic genealogy. The identification of Joseph D'Angelo as the Golden State Killer or the identification of Lonnie Franklin as what the Grim Sleeper. Those began emerging just in the last six or seven years. But before those cases drew national attention, genetic genealogy was used to produce leads in the investigation into the 1996 murder of Andy Dodge in Idaho Falls. In fact, it was used twice. In, 19, in uh, 2014, it led to the abuse of an innocent man's rights. Michael Usry Jr. is a New Orleans filmmaker with absolutely no connection to the case apart from his DNA. He was interrogated for hours, and a search warrant was issued to collect his genetic information. 
In 28, in 2019, it led to the apprehension and eventual conviction of Brian Drimps, Brian Drimps, the uh, man who had actually murdered Miss Dodge. So a case that had been unsolved for a quarter century was finally closed. And Christopher Tapp, the man who had been wrongfully convicted of her murder and imprisoned for two decades, was finally exonerated. So genetic genealogy can be a miracle in cases like this. But its high rate of success in finding murderers and rapists demonstrates something else. Without noticing, nearly everyone in the country has already lost their genetic privacy. You see, your genetic code is the most intimate information there is about you. Someone who has it can learn about everything from your ancestry to your predisposition to certain diseases But it can't be protected the way other private information can. If you don't want people to have your social security number, what do you do? You don't give it to them. Genetic information is different because people inherit their genes from their parents. So uh, if your brother publishes his DNA, he's also made the decision to publish a lot of your genetic material. And you have no recognized right to prevent that or even to know about it. So pretty much. Everyone in this country has already had their genetic information exposed in exactly this way. There was a paper, and I think we talked about it at the time, about two years ago, about one of every 10 Americans has their DNA in a commercial or public database. So if you've taken a genetic ancestry test, you're one of them. And it's almost certain that one of your relatives has their DNA in one of these uh, unregulated databases. And that means someone who's interested, whether it's law enforcement whether it's a prospective employer, whether it's a random stranger, whether it's a stalker, whether it's a, 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 a mate, a potential mate, they can find out a great deal about your genetic code using similar kinds of familial analysis as police use in investigating this. According to Axios, some of these databases have been shared with drug companies. Some with biotech research companies, some with app developers, one database, Family Tree DNA, they issued an apology to their customers for failing to disclose that it had entered an agreement to share genetic information with the FBI. And we know how good the FBI is about safeguarding civil liberties. It would have been good if policymakers had taken steps to protect genetic privacy before now. But the genie might be out of the barn. But this Koberger case demonstrates that there's a need to do something about this. Protecting genetic information now, after it's already been thoroughly compromised, it requires a huge effort to claw back privacy through the regulation of public and commercial DNA databases. One reason that prosecutors in the Koberger case have given for sealing genetic genealogy information is that would expose the names and personal information of the hundreds of innocent relatives on the family tree that was constructed to find Koberger. Sealing the information would also mean that the people on that family tree have no way of knowing that the police and FBI were looking into whether they might have killed four college students whether they were at risk at the same sort of treatment that Michael Usry Jr. faced. And maybe that's a right they ought to have 
I'll tell you, if I was a suspect in a murder case, if I was uh, close to being interrogated for hours as Michael Usry was, you're darn right I'd want to know about it. You're darn right I would. And the genetic age requires a substantive rethinking of how state and federal governments address privacy rights. The people that drafted the Fourth Amendment didn't contemplate a world in which one person could decide to publish their own DNA and thereby publish all of their relatives' DNA, their parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody else. And as the court considers the prosecution's motion to seal information related to genetic genealogy, it ought to carefully weigh not only law enforcement's ability to retain access to this technique, but also the public's right to have the information necessary for a debate on the future of genetic privacy. Because I have to tell you, this is something that I am uh, very, very nervous about. Very nervous about. Uh, Brian, Brian Clark is an opinion writer for the Idaho Statesman. He wrote a very good piece on this. I'm going to link to it on my uh, Facebook page um, in the next hour or so. Facebook.com slash Morano fan. All right. I've covered a lot of ground here. And we have a lot to get to throughout the course of this hour, including the $1,000 Minute and some great world news. But I want to give you a comment, uh, a chance to comment on anything that we have talked about thus far. We have three open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Richard in Midland, Texas, the Lone Star State. Hello, Richard. Hello. I'm formerly of New York, so I know everything that's going on in the world, because if you're formerly from New York, you know everything. Including First to turn your all. radio off before making a phone call. Oh, I got the Alexa on. Hold on. Yeah, t- just lower the volume, because we don't want to lose any streaming numbers. Yeah, all right, I got it all. Anyway, um, I want to also, before I say anything, I've been listening to you now on Alexa and on the, the Internet for uh, a few weeks, and I want to compliment you. I think you're excellent. You're very well-knowledge. You're better than Candy Jones and Long John Nebel on the old WMCA. Oh, uh, my. Well, that's awfully nice of you, Richard. Thank you. And I, and I mean that a lot. I'm not I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, yeah. Now I'm going to agree with whatever you say. Well, it is true. Uh, I know talent, and you're extremely good. I just want you to know Very that. Very kind. That's Thank you. Uh, going by uh, the guests beforehand, you've, you've raised some amazing topics tonight, and you're terrific on doing that also. Uh, on the postal worker, there's always more to know about it. He worked there for like 14, 15 years. Uh, there was no uh, Sunday uh, postal service in those days. And as uh, it became uh, popular for Amazon and Sunday morning, uh, Sunday deliveries, as we all know, now you have the postal service uh, in the last few years doing the deliveries of Sundays. But they never bothered him to uh, – they knew about his religious uh, affiliation of uh, Sunday being his Sabbath. So for two years while this was going on, he would fill in on holidays and other days and really work much more than maybe some other people. And he was an excellent worker. And then all of a sudden, I guess a new uh, manager came in and then started demanding that he work on Sundays. So I think they uh, actually uh, he's he won that case if I'm not mistaken. Am I uh, correct about that? You are indeed. Yes, and that's one of the also reasons. So it wasn't just somebody having a job not working on Sunday. You had to go in his past history where he was not obligated for all those years to work on a Sunday. If you're looking for a new job and you have to work on a Sunday, then I could see a, a, a place not uh, uh, hiring you because of that because they need you on a Sunday. 
when he got the job, Sundays never existed. So that's a very important point of why the court ruled in his favor, in my opinion. Unanimously, not just ruled in his opinion, but right. ruled unanimously, which you very rarely see in this polarized Supreme Court. Richard, thanks for the call and thanks for the compliment uh, as well. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. All right. And uh, just want to let the new portion of the audience know, <clears throat> talking about race quotas and immigration is what got me banned from talk radio. Don't believe any of the nonsense out there. Uh, first of all, when you use race quotas like in Harvard, what you're doing is you're pre-selecting the future leaders of the country politically and in corporations. And then people have their own mini versions of affirmative action and race quotas. They start hiring people who they like and they fill quotas that way. It's unfortunate. Um, the thing with race quotas, uh, it's embedded in our society. I don't see how you could really get rid of it anymore because, like I said, people run their own version of it, and it's unfortunate it discriminates against whites mostly because we're the largest population for now anyway. That's how they get around it. Texas, the university system, what they do there, and this is is how they get around it. They take all the high schools, and the top kids in each high school gets into the universities of Texas. Those are the first ones selected. So you have a a high school that's majority black. Those kids get in no matter what their SAT scores are. So there's ways of of getting around this, unfortunately. But also, I like to tell people, it's so embedded in society. There's actually a... um, um, uh, in, in the federal government, there's a, uh, um, what do you call it, the uh, uh, race quotas are used, but nobody ever addresses it. It should be pulled out of the federal government by the roots because it is discrimination against white Americans. Schooling, government contracts, all kinds of positions in government is is used that way. So, But the problem is, as whites become more of a minority, you will not be able to fight your way out of this politically anymore. It will be here forever. People accept it. If you watch the presidential election, you'll notice there'll be millions of words said and things seen, all kinds of displays and stuff. Nobody will talk about race quotas because it's a thing that they probably privately they they, they support it okay thanks steve you know speaking of the issue of race in the 2024 election one of the issues that i think really worked to trump's benefit to some extent in 2020 i don't know that it had any electoral effect but i was glad to see this degree of contrast was the role that president biden played in locking up um, minority men and to some extent women for nonviolent drug offenses with his support of the Biden crime bill and all sorts of other mid-1990s crime legislation and Donald Trump's role in getting those people out of prison. When President Trump signed the First Step Act, along with the many acts of clemency and pardons that he gave, he was helping to free a lot of the people that Joe Biden and Bill Clinton locked up. And I was glad that Trump focused on that. He even had a lot of these people that were in prison for a long time actually speak at the Republican convention, which I thought was a great thing. It's not something I ever thought I'd see at a Republican convention. And one of my many, 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 many frustrations with Donald Trump right now is he never talks about that. He is almost running away from the First Step Act. DeSantis is calling it, I forget what he's calling it, he's mocking it as a let him out of jail law. And even though he supported a version of it when he was in Congress, but now that that the the winds are blowing the other way and he wants to run as the tough on crime guy, he's attacking it. And no one, including Trump, is defending it. 
And I'm thinking, excuse me, this is the really the most significant bipartisan achievement of your administration. Say something about it. And if it's a Biden versus Trump rematch again, which I'm not convinced that will be, by the way, I think there's a very real opportunity that Biden won't be the nominee. And I think there's at least some chance, some, that Trump won't be the nominee. But if it is a Biden versus Trump rematch, make this issue of uh, how both of these men's policies have affected the criminal justice system as it relates to the minority community. Because the taxpayers have spent a ton of money locking up people because of the Biden crime bill. And we uh, have seen that go the other way with the First Step Act and other acts of clemency that uh, President Trump issued. And yet Trump never says anything, a thing about it. Never. I mean, it's like, I, well, whatever. I don't want to get into a whole Trump discussion. 800-848-9222. Dave is in the Buckeye state of Ohio. Hello, Dave. Hi, Frank. I uh, wanted to mention you talked the other night about copper telephone lines. We don't have cell service on my farm, so we have to have copper for that. And also when the power goes out, it, uh, it's not interrupted. Um, with regard to the DNA, my sister did the 23andMe thing and disclosed our DNA without any permission or prior knowledge, and I think it's a slippery slope because uh, I think that's essentially just a hobby of curiosity. It really doesn't serve any purpose. Well, look, uh, there's a lot to be said for it. I'm not going to I'm not going to poo poo it. I know people that have met um, their parents using their biological parents using this. My wife met an aunt that she didn't know that she had. That being said. I don't love the idea of giving my DNA DNA away to strangers that are a private corporation that are going to do whatever they can to mine that data and sell it for profit and that are in some deal with law enforcement, which could cause everybody that I've ever been related to and everyone that I will be related to in the future to maybe be a suspect in a major crime when the law enforcement agencies haven't found probable cause. So I'm with you for the most part, Dave, and thank you for the call. The one thing I want to be careful of is I don't want to portray it as all bad. It's not. Look, I just listed. I'd love to say it is all bad because I'm a civil liberties advocate, but it's not. You have a lot of people that are able to make connections with family members, and there's no telling what that might mean in terms of finding organs and uh, things like bone marrow transplants, all of which is important. And look, you've seen hundreds of murderers and rapists locked up because of this. And at least one guy, but probably more, let out of prison who was wrongfully locked up for two decades. David is in uh, the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, David. Yes, uh, good morning. I had called about affirmative action, but um, there's not enough time to cover that. So I'll talk about this genetic um, thing that we're talking about. Um, Unlike the last caller, there are multiple ways that this is useful. And unless you're a criminal like Kohlberg, who murdered four innocent college students, why would you even be concerned about some relative giving their DNA? It's unfortunate that it can be used whatever way the company wants to use it. But that's what you that's the risk that you take when you submit it to a private company. They don't tell you we're not going to share it with anybody. I'm sure there's a long list of disclaimers that you have to look at uh, before you do this. And if if you're related to that person, you have no rights. That's the way it is. Maybe they should change it. But I'm not comfortable with someone like Kohlberg being roaming the streets <laughs> 
murdering more innocent college students because you're concerned about some obscure civil liberties thing. I mean, because honestly, Frank, I know that you have a sort of a predisposition to favor criminals for some reason, and, <laughs> and, I, and I don't know why that is. Seriously, you are the most pro-criminal person on this station. I don't know why that is. I don't know why you have an affinity for mobsters, for people like Roger Stone. There's a long list. And you can call this an ab hominem attack because it is actually. Yeah, no because doubt. Honestly, yeah. So I don't have to. You just did. I'm no, because honestly, I'm upset, you know, because you, you went off on the affirmative action thing with Debbie Schlussel, which I found highly offensive. And now you're basically saying that if my relative gives DNA and I leave my DNA at a crime scene, that that's some type of civil liberties issue. You know what? You don't want your DNA studied by the FBI. Don't murder anybody and leave your freaking DNA. Right. At the but David, scene. David, it's pretty simple. Dave, go ahead. Finish what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. You go ahead. No. I'll, so I'll, what I was going to say is the problem is um, putting aside my pro criminal bona fides. We'll put that aside for one moment. But the the problem is it's not just your DNA. If they could go to the crime scene and then find David's DNA, uh, that's just great. But. The fact that they could also find Michael Usury as a match and then subject him to hours of interrogation that he would never have been ex- uh, exposed to had some relative of his not uploaded their DNA to one of these databases, that's part of the problem that I have here. It's creating uh, suspects for serious crimes who have done nothing wrong. That's my issue with this. Okay. Uh, also, okay. the fact that they can just sell this to private companies or to employers or any of the other groups that I mentioned. Listen, this is a problem. I agree with you because, honestly, any information about a person you can find out there. There's if he agrees, I'd hate to hear what happens if he everything. disagrees. On, I could goodness. find out your birthday. I could find out your address, which I'm not interested in. But these, you know, all this information is available if you're willing to pay for it. That is something that we do need to regulate. But what you just said about the DNA thing, listen, if they interrogate you, you could be interrogated because your car looks like somebody else's car. But in the end, your DNA is unique. Unless you're a twin, nobody else has your DNA. So in a crime scene, they're not going to be able to match your DNA with somebody else's. Uh, David, unless you're the I, 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 don't, I don't think you're right. And, and it shows that you're not right because – Brian Koberg never, never submitted his DNA to one of these sites. They built a family tree because some relative of his submitted this DNA. It's not the catching murderers and rapists that I have an issue with. I'm all for catching murderers and rapists. Of course, I had a very close friend that was murdered. And for you to, you know, uh, call me a pro-criminal. Well, okay, maybe I am a little pro-criminal. But uh, I am not for letting murderers get away with murder. Bottom line. That being said, there's the next step that I'm worried about and the next step and the next step. The fact that private corporations who are motivated entirely by profit have all of this data and can do with it as of now whatever they want with very little regulation without you even knowing about it when you didn't submit your DNA – I find it frightening. I find it very Orwellian. 800-848-9222. Those of you that are holding, if you want to keep holding, you you can. Uh, And we are going to give $1,000 away, hopefully, to someone as part of the $1,000 minute. If you are the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222, 
Call right now and you will get a chance to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Do that and you're $1,000 richer. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. High anxiety whenever you're near. High anxiety, it's you that I fear. My heart's afraid to fly. It's crashed before But then you take my hand My heart starts to soar Once more High anxiety It's always the same Anxiety It's you That That I I blame The great Mel Brooks it's singing High Anxiety. I love this song. Have you ever seen this picture? It's a, a satire of all the Alfred Hitchcock films. North by Northwest, mostly, but also Vertigo and uh, Psycho, a little bit of The Birds. It's, it's just wonderful. And um, Mel Brooks at his funniest and uh, Madeline Kahn at her funniest and I think her most beautiful. So... Um, Mel Brooks turned, you know what a fan I am of his, he turned 97 years old this this week. 97 years old. I have got to get Mel Brooks on the radio. It was also announced this week that Mel Brooks is going to be the um, one of those people receiving an honorary Oscar at the upcoming Academy Awards, which is well-deserved. I can't believe they haven't given him one already. It kills me that the way – I don't know what the ceremony is going to be like the next time, but at least the last couple of years, they don't show the honorary Oscars as part of the telecast. What good is that? You know, you get them at this uh, at this stupid sideshow. You know, I received uh, – I, I got this award along with many of my colleagues, and, and there's an awards luncheon in September. And I may dedicate the totality of my remarks to – protesting how the Academy Awards does things. I may. We'll see. Uh, Mel Brooks, by the way, um, also at his funniest when working with Carl Reiner in their 2,000-year-old man routine. This gentleman here is one of the phenomena of the world. He looks no older than Mr. Sean, and yet he is 2,000 years old. Is that true, sir? Yes. You want to see my driver's license? No, no. We, we haven't authenticated. The Mayo Clinic has checked you out and said that you are 2,000. Sir, what has kept you alive for 2,000 years? When I'll go in an airplane, if I'll go in an airplane, I'll never sit in the first two seats or the last two seats from an airplane. You mean not sitting in the first two or the first last two seats? Two the last two has seats. kept you alive? I don't understand that. Why? Has that because kept you alive? if the plane, unfortunately, should take a flop out from the sky, you're going to go down with it and break your foot. Right? <laughs> yes, but if, if the plane, as you say, flops out of the sky, 
everybody in all the seats will break their feet. I mean, at least. Yeah, let me amend that. Any seat is no good. In other words, you're afraid to fly in an airplane. On the <laughs> I see, but why? Because if the good Lord meant men to fly, he would have given them tickets, right? <laughs> Simply nobody like Mel Brooks. Hey, uh, time for us to try and give away some money as part of... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. That's right. Let's meet today's contestant, Chris in New Jersey. Hello, Chris. Hey, good morning, Frank. Uh, Chris, have you heard this contest before? Yes, many times. Great. Okay, so you know what to do, right? Yes. All right. If uh, you are ready, let's get started. The timer will begin after I ask you the first question. Name okay. name a beverage that contains caffeine. Uh, Coca-Cola. What does CIA stand for? Central Intelligence Agency. What animal is Indiana Jones afraid of? Oh, spiders. Ah, no, I'm sorry, Chris. Snakes. Why did it have wow. to be snakes? Are you an Indiana Jones fan? No. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. It, yeah, I'm sorry. It, you check out Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's worth it's worth seeing. I'm going to put you on hold. Give uh, give Matt Blaze your information, and we will give you a consolation prize. I'm sorry. I, see, uh, that's the kind of thing. And Chris seems like a very smart guy and a very nice guy. Um, but that's the kind of thing that I feel like even even people that aren't necessarily Indiana Jones fans might uh, might know the answer to. So, Matt, if you would take Chris's information, we will send him a consolation prize of some sort. You know, I mentioned running into uh, Geraldo Rivera at uh, Lou Idala's 85th birthday party yesterday. I put a I put a photo. He just um, quit Fox News, apparently, and um, didn't seem bothered by it at all. Seemed in very, very good mood. But uh, he's a great guy. I really like Geraldo and really look up to him. And uh, we took a photograph. If you want to see the photo, you can go onto my Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's uh, Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. But one of the things that was very interesting is I posted this photo, and, you know, I said something nice about him. And the nastiest comments in the world in response to this photo, and then you should see the comments that were sent to my inbox. I mean, really just vile stuff that I can't even repeat on the radio. It's really reprehensible stuff. By the way, if you ever want to check out the, uh, so you could see the photo at Frank Morano, if you want to join the chorus of those that are saying profane things to me, that's uh, Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O on Twitter. And uh, if you want to check out any of our merchandise, you can go to the Other Side of Midnight, Other Side of Midnight online store, the website is store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. That's store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. And if you use the promo code FRANK15, you'll save 15% when you order. How about that? All right, 800-848-9222. Frank is in Highlands. Hello, Frank. Yeah, hi, Frank. Um, 
I, you know, ABC says that they listen, but you know, I oppose some some of the things very strongly that you guys endorse. Well, when you say okay? you guys, uh, don't lump me in with any anybody else other than things that I've said, because we're on a lot of stations, and a lot of people have their own independent opinions. I'm not going to speak for everybody that's on all the stations enough, that I'm fair on. Enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So Donald Trump, who wants to make and and his his whole thing is uh, to make America great again. Uh, suppose uh, the wall was up and he made America great again, um, but he doesn't have any integrity with the rest of the planet. And so what happens is that um, uh, is that uh, America becomes the bully instead of the virtues of what America really is. And so what I'm saying is Donald Trump punched China in the stomach. And you know what came out? The pandemic. Donald Trump promised that he would have bombed Russia, okay? And then what would have happened would be nuclear war. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Donald Trump, his, 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 his character, and, and our character is what's manifested uh, by our actions, actually, um, uh, uh, and, uh, as far as results, uh, of um, of what what uh, goes on in our lives, and um, and his character is actually despicable. You know, so I I'm not I'm not against Republicans, and uh, and but when you bring up the real issues, and the Democrats too, there's no integrity there. So I really believe that there will be an independent, and um, and that they they haven't even actually uh, 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 put themselves in the ratio. Well, Frank, I I agree with that, right? I think, you know, if you look at what No Labels is doing, I think there's a lot of people that are unhappy with Biden, a lot of people certainly, as ex- exemplified by your call, that are unhappy with Trump. And I think this is kind of the once-in-a-lifetime election where an independent or third-party candidate may actually have a chance at winning some states, maybe even the whole election. I also, and thanks for the call, Frank. I'm just going to let you go. So your phone's a little screwy there. Um, I also agree with your broader point about character matters. I think character does matter. And I think a lot of the uh, the things that uh, that Trump does, it, ex- it, do- it is an example of poor character. I also think some of the things that he does, and you saw this with him waving around those Iran documents, it's an example of poor judgment, as is the fact that uh, he appointed the worst possible people for every single job. John Bolton, um, you know, uh, uh, go down the line, General Mattis, I mean, um, Rex Tillerson, Jeff Sessions, I mean, you go to Christopher Ray, keeping Jim Comey on the job. And I mean, just I'm not going to redo the whole administration, but I disagree completely with your characterizations of Trump's foreign policy as it respect as it relates to China and Russia. You seem to imply some sort of cause and effect of Trump being tough with China, I guess, through tariffs and, oh, they unleashed covid covid happened, I believe, because Anthony Fauci and the U.S. government funded gain-of-function research in an incredibly irresponsible way in a foreign government 
and worked with a communist despotic dictatorship that they never should have been in cahoots with, let alone to create these uh, these incurable diseases. I think that's really the root cause of COVID. I don't think it had anything to do with Trump and tariffs in China. Also, while we can't say what would have happened if this person was in office, that person was in office, history does not at all support your narrative on the Russia issue. We saw what happened with Russia under the Bush administration. They uh, they went into uh, Georgia. You see what you saw what happened during the Obama administration. They annexed Crimea. In the Trump administration, there was no territorial expansion of Russia. So I actually think we our only shot at this point of averting an escalation of war with Russia is a Trump presidency. It, it kills me to say this as somebody that doesn't want to vote for him. But I think Trump, if you're interested in world peace, is the best candidate to do it. And I, I recognize the the incongruity there. But that's kind of what I'm wrestling with. Thanks for the call, though. You gave us a lot to think about. Hey, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is indeed the other side of midnight. Uh, We are going to be here on Monday. We have some fun stuff planned for our 4th of July program as well. And uh, we're going to be off next Wednesday. So uh, I don't know who's going to be in, but uh, we'll certainly have some fun. Uh, but on Monday and Tuesday, and then I'll be back on uh, on Thursday. If you want to stay in touch with me, you can do so via email, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. If you want to know what kind of music we're playing on the program, join the Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Facebook or go to facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Hopefully you're doing something fun this weekend and uh, we're hosting some family over the house. So I may have to try my hand at cooking. So we'll see how that goes. Wish us luck. Meantime, now is your opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds on any subject you like. 1-800-848-9222 as part of... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Pete. Pete. Great show as always, Frank. And Donald Trump is a shoe in with this Biden, what he's doing. I wish I could bet on it because anybody that knows me, I'll bet on a roach running across the floor. <laughs> Peter. 
Debbie Cecil was a fool. The fact is that white women have benefited most from affirmative action. Now, the question to you, Frank, is did it affect the gender aspect of affirmative action? I think, the, the, Frank, you're not ready for prime time. Jerry. Mr. Katamatidis, I hope you're listening because the week, that hour during the weekend is called bullying. Bullying, bullying. It's not fun. It's bullying, bullying, Mr. Katamatidis. Raji. If you are so lazy to peel an orange which provides 57 nutrients, you can still save 80% by ordering online the non-advertised dreaded capsules. Thank you. Neil. Congratulations to my friend Francesca Orikinto on her promotion to detective third grade. Your years of anti-crime making countless drug and gun arrests have not gone unnoticed. I'm so proud of you, Francesca. Marie. Keep it light, keep it bright, keep it gay. Thank you for the tickets, um, Frank. I can't wait to go tomorrow with my husband. Mark. Sizzle moron, sizzle moron. Larry. Frank, this weekend, when you read the Declaration of Independence, you'll find that 13 colonies signed the Declaration, but only 12 signed the Constitution. Very interesting. Thank you, Larry. That's Lamb's Lit on Things for today. Back on Monday, God willing. Until then, Frank Morano, good day.